Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. All right, it's that time of the week again. It is time for us to spend some time putting aside the regimented topics that I take pains all week long trying to think of what would be interesting for you to hear. It is time for you for the next 60 minutes to control all that we see in here. Although, much like Jeopardy, the game show, my favorite game show, it must be in the form of a question. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time to ask them. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Questions about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails, advice... My personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, national politics, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob. Any hypothetical questions? We get a lot of Desert Island questions. Those are awfully popular here. My personal preferences on anything. You have questions about relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, foreign policy, or anything at all. Now is the time. And in order to sweeten the pot a little bit, in order to encourage you to ask a really creative question, something that really gets people, including me, thinking, we are going to offer a complimentary Other Side of Midnight t-shirt to whomever gets the, whoever comes up with the best question for the hour, as determined by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Kenneth. So whoever comes up with the best question, 800-848-9222. We'll give you a little bit of a prize. Let's jump right into it. Let me begin with uh, Chris in the Catskills. Hello, Chris. Hello, Frank. Yeah, let's Lee Zeldin, the attacker of Lee Zeldin. He needs to do at least five or ten years in prison. Uh, I was at a debate tonight. There was no security. There are two candidates running for Congress on the Democratic ticket. Uh, primary in August with the winner goes up against Mark Molinaro in D19. There was no security there. I talked to both candidates afterwards. So I just want to put that statement out there. Have you ever seen the film Owning Mahoney starring Philip Seymour Hoffman? No, I like Philip Seymour Hoffman a great deal as an actor. But no, I've never seen the film. Is it worth seeing? So that film, you need to see it. It is a true story. It's based on a Toronto uh, banker. He was a president of a bank. And he had a gambling addiction problem, and he used to he was embezzling like millions of dollars over time from the bank, and he was flying down to Atlantic City to gamble. Yeah, I, I've heard actually, about this film actually. I've never seen it though. I have to check it out. They actually changed the laws after that. After it's they tell you at the end of the film. Yeah, he, he's 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 great. You'll love it, Frank. Take I will care. check it out. Owning Mahoney. That's uh, all right. Oh, I can always. Uh, 
could always use a good uh, could you always use a good film recommendation. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Maybe I'm asking for trouble here, but whatever. I like to live dangerously. E Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E Frank. Yes. Uh, good morning, Frank. I'm just uh, curious. I want to ask you this question. You might believe that this is not possible because uh, Mr. Sliwa got 29% of the vote in this uh, 24% uh, showing uh, in the last mayoral race. Do you think that maybe Curtis Sliwa will be like uh, President Joe Biden? He'll be still young enough to run for mayor again? He's going to attempt another run with uh, new candidates? Uh, You know, I actually do. And uh, Curtis has told me privately that uh, that is what he's leaning towards at the moment. I, I shouldn't really out him here. But yes, I think that is a very strong possibility. So I, I look, there are a number of other winnable races for different offices that he could run for. But uh, Curtis is pretty concerned about the future of the city and the present of the city. The thing is, if you look at the fundraising, Eric Adams has already raised $850,000 for the next election. And a lot of that is matchable. A lot of it's not because it's from outside of the uh, outside of the city. But uh, Curtis will have to start from scratch. And if he runs, he'll probably not begin his campaign probably for another two years. So Adams is definitely going to have a heavy advantage, at least in terms of fundraising. So can Curtis overcome that? I hope so. But, yes, I do think there actually is a possibility that Curtis might end up running again. But uh, who knows? I don't know. 800-848-9222. Jacqueline is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jacqueline. Good morning, Frank. Morning. I have – it's a two-part question for you. I, I told Kenny um, – one – the first part is, can you tell me what is the animus between Mayor Giuliani and Alphonse D'Amato? And the second part of the question is, can you explain to me what the background is? Why did Mayor Giuliani support the Democratic candidate uh, Cuomo during that race instead of – uh, Governor Pataki. Yeah, well, was it because he was friends with the Cuomo's, or because of his animus between him and D'Amato? I, I don't understand it. All right, so let me uh, let me begin with the first question, and then I'll try to make my uh, my way towards the second question. Right. So, in the uh, I, my understanding of the the feud between the two of them, they used to be very good friends. In fact, uh, D'Amato was actually. Uh, pivotal in Rudy Giuliani getting appointed to be the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And um, much like any feud, it's not one thing. And whenever you have a feud that goes on for a while, both sides kind of tend to keep adding to it. But uh, apparently it began when Rudy left the U.S. attorney's office and he wanted to have a great deal of say over who his successor would be who the person that came after him would be. And that was the beginning of when their relationship uh, turned sour. Now, um, I believe, and this is my own belief, and nobody has backed this up, is that when um, Al D'Amato's brother Armand was indicted, even though he was not indicted by the uh, by the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District, he was indicted, I, I think, in... I, well, I don't remember which office indicted him, but it wasn't the Southern District... I believe he holds Rudy a little bit um, uh, responsible for that. I think he wanted – well, because I think he wanted um, he wanted preferential treatment for his brother, and he didn't want his brother indicted. And his brother was indicted. And, um, but if it wasn't in the Southern District, what, uh, what power or authority would uh, Giuliani uh, well, have? Well, I, I think that's exactly what Rudy Giuliani would say, right? But uh, in Aldamato's mind, look, Rudy had been a uh, deputy attorney general – 
and was uh, was very was very influential within the Department of Justice. So I think he thought that maybe uh, that maybe Rudy had a, a, a more more juice within the Department of Justice than he actually did. Now I, I think that's total bubkiss, but that was the beginning of it. I think. Then uh, you take into account you mentioned as part of your second question what happened in 1994. I, I think Aldo never got over. Rudy Giuliani's endorsement of Mario Cuomo. But it didn't begin with that, because remember, when Rudy ran for mayor in 1989, D'Amato didn't back him. He recruited Ron Lauder to run against him and not only uh, not only helped helped him in the Republican primary against Giuliani, but then encouraged Lauder to stay in the ba- on the ballot as the conservative party candidate in the general election to siphon off votes from Rudy in a very competitive election against uh, David Dinkins. So um, I, then 1994 comes around. I can't say why Rudy backed uh, Mario Cuomo. My theory is it it deals primarily with three things. One, uh, Rudy did have a longtime personal relationship with with the Cuomos. I think that was part of it. Two, I think Rudy recognized the fact that he was presiding over a heavily Democratic city that Mario Cuomo was going to win big and that uh, it was going to help him to be publicly associated with a popular Democrat in New York City. And three, I think that Rudy viewed Mario as the most likely victor in that race, and he thought that by supporting Mario, that would be uh, his best avenue to getting a lot of state funding to New York City and to a lot of New York City initiatives that he cared about. That was, I think, the thing that pushed D'Amato over the top in terms of his enmity towards uh, Giuliani. And then, like anything, whenever you have a feud, it just builds and it builds and it builds. And because I don't like this guy, I'm going to do that. And because this guy doesn't like me, I'm going to do that. But I'll point out that um, in 1997, um, D'Amato did endorse Giuliani. And in 1998, Giuliani did endorse D'Amato and Pataki. So, look, um, I I think um, at some point, you have to let go of some grudges. And after 30 years, I think uh, those grudges should certainly be let go. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. Frank, I have a question for you about your secret, how you keep Stanley off your show, the one who calls up and, and yells at everybody. Well, I got to be honest, Gina, uh, Stan doesn't call me. He might have. Um, yeah. I think he only called me once when I was filling in for Dominic and then I or I was in with Dominic and I uh, I sort of teased Stan that he never calls me. And then he called me and asked an innocuous question. I think maybe because I, I talk about politics a little bit less than uh, than Dominic and Rita do. I don't know what the reason is, but uh, Stan doesn't call me. I would be happy to take his call. I like taking calls from everybody. I love it when Stan calls Dominic and Rita because I love the diversity of opinion. And I love that Stan uh, in the in the world of talk radio in New York has almost become like the uh, the bad guy in, in wrestling. He almost welcomes the enmity and the booze he, of the other callers and the other listeners. It's like he enjoys being the bad guy. I love that. I wish he would call me more. I think he's uh, I think he's a great asset to both of those shows. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Paul is in Astoria. Hello, Paul. Hi. Good evening, Frank. How are you doing tonight? Great. Thank you. Great. I have the question. Yes, if you were to run for public office, which one would you choose? Would it be mayor, 
governor, president, and uh, after your first hundred days, um, what would be your priority to want to get done? What would be your number one accomplishment that you would want to do? Well, honestly, uh, if I were to run for an office, it would probably be um, borough president of Staten Island. Uh, that's the that's the real that's the public office that I would most like to hold. The only way that I would run for uh, president or governor would be to build a third party on either a state level or a national level. And there are all sorts of thresholds for for doing that. New York, if you get 135,000 votes for governor or thereabouts, you get ballot access for four years. At a federal level, if you get 5% of the vote uh, for president, you get uh, federal funding for your party's candidate four years from now. So that's the only way that I would run. I wouldn't run for president or governor if I thought there was a realistic chance that I could win. It's much like Bill Buckley was was uh, had said when he ran for mayor of New York City, what's the first thing that you would do if you won? Ask for a recount. But the uh, the thing that I would most enjoy doing would be borough president of Staten Island. I would I enjoy being a spokesman for the borough, a champion for the borough, and so that's that's what I would most likely run for in in all in all candor. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Jerry in Manhattan. Hello there, Jerry. Frank, hi. I'd like to know if you had the opportunity to take out Kim Jong-un, get away with it, and all his underlings, thereby unifying North and South Korea, would you do it? And quickly, number two, are um, the guests on Katz's Roundtable at 5 o'clock paid, like Peter King and the Judge Seinberg? Um, yeah, I, I don't think so, but I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I know the guests aren't paid, but I think you're talking about the people that are in studio as kind of co-hosts. The I don't, regulars, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know that, uh, to be honest. I have no idea. But um, I, believe me, if they were, I'd be the last to know. I, uh, But I have no idea. As far as killing Kim Jong-un, no. I would not want to kill uh, Kim Jong-un if I could get away with it. I don't want to kill anybody. And uh, in my in my view, you know, Killing world leaders is such a dangerous proposition because, as we have seen time and again, if you kill someone and think you're going to bring about democracy, this brand new Jeffersonian democracy in the Middle East or in uh, in Asia, a lot of times that doesn't come to fruition. So, uh, no, I don't know what would come after a Kim Jong-un. I think the way to deal with Kim Jong-un is it's sort of the way that Donald Trump was trying to deal with him through diplomacy. Diplomacy, diplomacy, not murder. You know, we saw what happened with the Arab Spring. We took out Gaddafi and look at Libya now. Can anybody say that Libya is better off now than when Gaddafi was there? Look at Iraq now. Can anyone say that Iraq in the era of ISIS, which followed Saddam Hussein, is better off now than when Saddam Hussein was there? Look at Egypt. Uh, Egypt is in pretty good shape now, but in the, in the, after the fall of Mubarak, when they chose to elect the Muslim Brotherhood and Morsi, can anyone say that that was better than when Mubarak was there? Certainly not from the United States perspective. And you could go down the list. So, no, I'm not into killing world leaders, even if nobody knows about it. 800-848-9222. One open line if you want to jump on board. We're giving a, a prize away to whoever comes up with the most creative question. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. 
If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, just join our Facebook group. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Uh, this is the hour where we answer your questions, questions on any subject, as we do each and every day at this hour. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Mario is in New Jersey. Mario, what's your question? My question, Frank, uh, is the liquor stores taking the bars to uh, court. I don't know if that was settled or not. Maybe I missed it on one of the shows. Uh, In New York? In New York, right. The bars uh, making drinks to go and the liquor stores didn't like that. Yeah, I, I think this was something that the state legislature was uh, was working on uh, on handling, and I, I think the they came out with um, I, I forget what the ultimate outcome of this was. We talked about this at, at, at the time, right? I, I think that um, you know I'm going to have to get back to you on this one, but I think um, I, I think they they did extend the ability for restaurants to do uh, to go drink service. But um, I, I think it was not permanent. Um, so I'm going to have to look into this one for you. Yeah, because the governor here in New Jersey, he had opened it up for COVID that bars could take. You can go to a bar, get your favorite right, drink right. and take it to go. Yeah. And yeah. that's still open now. Yeah. I, I don't remember what the outcome was in New York. And uh, I'm ashamed to admit this because this is right in my uh, in my wheelhouse. I'm going to have to look this look up this All one right. for the you. Other, Mark. The other thing you were concerned about, Mike Tyson, is a friend of mine, personal friend of mine. Oh, really? What's what's he like yeah. on a personal level? He's wonderful. He's like a teddy bear. <laughs> He's very nice. And he was very nice to Camille Lee Wall. She was like his mother up in the Catskills with Custia model. And uh, he took her to Camille till the day she died. She was 97 years old. I was real close to her. Wow. And I spoke to him today. Because I was a little worried, too. I haven't spoken to him for about maybe four or five days, and he's fine. Oh, good. He's coming up tomorrow or the next day to Albany to be with Billy White. That's the trainer that trained him for the Roy Jones fight, and he's doing something in Albany. But he's fine. Great. Uh, by the way, I just did a little, a quick, uh, a little bit of homework. And in the recent budget in April, they did legalize two-go drinks in New York City from restaurants and bars for three years. So it's, oh, so it's it- legal for three years. Yeah, because I don't know what the beef was with the liquor stores, because when you go to a liquor store, you get a six-pack of beer or you get a bottle of wine or uh, uh, something else, and you got four, three guys together, everybody wants a different drink. Yeah, well, that's so go- there's a reason the liquor stores don't want the supermarket selling wine either, and that's, I think you've put your your, wow. your finger on it. Uh, yeah, so it is legal for three years, the uh, two-go drinks. 800-848-9222. Igor is in Fairfield, New Jersey. Hello, Fairfield. Greetings, greetings, Frank. Hey, when you opened up your syndicated, your first syndicated show, you had a quote from Eddie Cantor, as told to Joe Franklin. And I think you've said you got a chance to know Joe Franklin just a little bit. I was wondering if you No, no, not a little bit. I I knew Joe very well. We were very close friends. Um, uh, I was with him uh, just a couple of days before he died. We were we were incredibly close for uh, for many years, about almost 20 years. 
Do you have any funny stories about I, any al- kind of uh, uh, almost too many to list? I mean, you pick a category, and I'll do my best to give you a story about Joe. What what kind of story do you want to hear about? Well, maybe just uh, he probably talked to you about your career in radio. Maybe something about that. All right. Well, so um, every, I was on um, when when before Joe passed away. I was on another radio station Sunday mornings. From 4 a.m. to 8.30. And Joe would immediately be the very first person that called me as soon as I went off the air every single week. Every single week. Uh, he would call me at 8.31. And it it would go uh, – every phone call – now, Joe, at this point in his career, was on for about five minutes a week on Bloomberg Radio. So I don't know what kind of show he was preparing for, but he would spend hours every day doing show prep for this five minutes. So he would call me right at the end of every show at 831, and every show – it would go it would go some version of <clears> – Frank, <throat> I have to tell you, that was – and I've been listening to radio 70, 80 years – that was the greatest radio show I've ever heard everybody do. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, you know, five, you know, two, three years from now, you are going to be the biggest star in the history of radio. Now, listen to me. Don't, don't, don't hate me, Frank. Don't hate me. Around around seven o'clock, the last story in the news at the top of the hour, the last words were, "And they'll never be the same." What was that story? I said, Joe, I, I don't know. He said, Frank, I hate to do this to you. I hate to do this. Is there any way you could find out what story that was at the last story in the 7 o'clock news? I I said, absolutely, Joe. I will go back. I will go back and listen to the 7 o'clock news and find out what story. All right, Joe, it's this – it was was a story about uh, whatever, pygmies in in Australia. Uh, He says – oh, yeah, okay. And he's writing it down. Okay, pygmies in Australia. All right, last thing, Frank. This is the last thing. And now this is almost 40 minutes now that we're on on the phone. Uh, uh, Joe, uh, what else? Uh, Anything, anyway. You mentioned a book that you're reading. You mentioned a book. I said, uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I mentioned this book. It's uh, whatever. He says, let me ask you a question. What is the name of that book? How can I get that book? Joe, it is a really dense policy book about China. I don't know that you're going to want to read it. And he says, no, 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 I want to read it. I want to read what you read. Can't, yeah, you got to get me the name of that book. I want, to, I want to talk to the author. Can you get me the author? So he would do – he was really um, – really, he would listen – Almost like he was uh, studying every minute of everything uh, that I did. Sometimes he'd give me constructive um, criticism. Almost overwhelmingly, it was praise. You know, I remember one time I would ask him for for feedback, and he would say, uh, uh, "You know, Frank, that was uh, it was a great, great show. Uh, it was better, better show than any anything I ever did." If there's one one minor minor criticism I could offer you. He said, I've noticed that when uh, callers call and say uh, something nice about you, you, you frequently finish with the words, I appreciate that. I, you know, <laughs> you're saying that a little too much. I appreciate that. So it was kind of things like that. But Joe was a gem. I could spend all, all four hours of this program talking about Joe Franklin. He is a, 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 a gem, and he was one of my, my, one of my best friends and a, a tremendous mentor, and I miss him a great deal. As far as I'm concerned, one of the best radio talk show hosts of all time, one of the best TV talk show hosts of all time, and the kind of New York character that uh, you really don't see anymore. He's a... He's somebody that was uh, a really an incredible person, and uh, I, I read his books often and think about him, and I uh, look at the inscriptions that he wrote to me and all the books that he wrote and uh, think about a lot of the times that we spend together, and it uh, just makes me so sad that um, at a lot of key moments in my life, 
that my wedding, uh, Carmine's baptism, that he wasn't there to be a part of that. I miss him. Like He was family. He was, uh, he was family, and I, I miss him a great deal. Uh, let me say hello to um, Roller in New Jersey. Hello, Roller. Frank, I was going to ask you a different question, but I changed it up. The future in your crystal ball, what do you see the United States, the red states against the blue states, civil war coming? Do you see Texas leaving first, going, maybe starting a war with Mexico to defend itself and the rest of their states coming down from the north? Attacking you, you know, Texas? Roller, what, I, what do you see in the future? I spend a lot of time thinking about this because there are some days where I get really worried about this. I I honestly don't think we're heading in that direction. And look, we, we could be. I read a great article this uh, yesterday in The New Yorker, all about pickleball. And it's all about how pickleball might be the thing that saves America because it gets people that are left-wing playing pickleball and talking with people that are right-wing. And I really think that's the solution. I really just think that we need to get people out of their little bubbles and have uh, conservatives interacting with liberals, libertarians interacting with socialists, people that are non-political interacting with people that are obsessed with politics. And I think the more people interact with one another on a personal basis uh, over things like pickleball or ping pong, the more they'll realize that they have more in common than um, than than separates them. So I hope not. Uh, but uh, I don't think we're headed towards a civil war, at least not in the next 15, 20 years. But who knows? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. We have one, two open lines if you want to jump on board for Ask Frank Anything. Let me say hello to Alyssa in Manhattan. Hello, Alyssa. Hey, Frank. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thank you. I uh, love this segment of your show. And Thank you. And also love that Prince song, one of my favorite songs. Oh, well, that's awfully nice of you. Thank you. Um, the question I want to ask you is kind of a fun question. If you could see yourself as a cartoon character, who would that character be? No doubt about it in the world. Stewie Griffin from Family Guy. I feel like I am Stewie Griffin from Family Guy. With the exception of um, plotting to kill my mother, which I've never done, I feel <laughs> like I have so much in common with Stewie Griffin. He also has this this latent homosexuality, which I don't have. But other than that, his interests, the way he speaks, his, uh, the things that he enjoys doing, the things that annoy him, the way that he, the things that he likes, the music that he likes, his friendship with his dog, uh, the things that hurt his feelings, the things that, uh, you know, his stick to when he puts a plan together. I absolutely love Stewie Griffin. Stewie is one of the few characters in the cartoon world that when I see that, I say, that's me. Uh, and look, uh, years ago, I might have said Bugs Bunny, but Family Guy's been on for 23 years, I think. So over the last 23 years, Stewie's character has evolved, and I think I've evolved as Stewie has evolved. So again, I've never wanted to kill my mother, but every other aspect except for the latent homosexuality that Stewie has that that Stewie does, I've done at some point. Um, fantasized about writing a play like Stewie has written. Uh, tried to build, When I was a kid, I tried to come up with a way to build a time machine as Stewie built. I just love everything Stewie Griffin does. And even when I don't love it, I can see myself doing it. I, I see my worst self in Stewie Griffin. Uh, so it would be Stewie Griffin. He's my guy. Ooh, you got some pie, eh? Can I have a piece? Uh, sure. Ooh, let me have some of that Cool Whip. What'd you say? You can't have a pie without Cool Whip. Cool Whip? Cool Whip, yeah. You mean Cool Whip? Yeah, Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. 
You're saying it weird. Why are you putting so much emphasis on the H? What are you talking about? I'm just saying it. Cool Whip. You put Cool Whip on pie. Pie tastes better with Cool Whip. Say Whip. Whip. Now say Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. You're eating hair. <laughs> see? You see what I mean? We're kindred spirits. 800-848-9222. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Good morning. Frank, before I uh, ask my question, I may have a solution to Aunt Camille's egg salad problem. Mm-hmm. Um, Buy her a box of uh, Ziploc-type bags with the zippers and just have her fill it, um, and then you don't have to worry about getting them back. Wait, a Ziploc bag or a box of Ziploc bags? Yeah, like a gallon oh, bag. And if you, you know, that's not a bad suggestion, actually. I'm going to go there tomorrow, and I will actually do that very thing. It work, they work out well for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so my question is this. If you have to find a roommate for some reason... Of the four main Seinfeld characters, who would you most like to room with and who would you least like to room with? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. The most and the least. Let's see. Um, I'm going to say Kramer I would most like to room with um, because, you know, he was always up to something interesting and I keep odd hours. I feel like Kramer keeps odd hours. I like to have a lot of odd characters over, you know, my residence. I feel like Kramer does. I feel like I'd enjoy meeting the Bob Sacamanos of the world. He's a cigar smoker. I'm a cigar smoker. He's a pipe smoker. I'm a pipe smoker, except for his fondness for golf, which I don't share. I think, um, you know, I think we'd have a lot in common. We, you know, he's home during the day. It's not like he's working, so there'd always be uh, time for us to to do something social at the coffee shop or whatever else. So I think Kramer would be number one. In terms of who I'd least like to room with, um, it's a good question. I think I would enjoy rooming with any of them, but if I have to pick somebody that I would least like to room with, I would probably pick Elaine. I've never had a female roommate and uh, I think that could probably be a bit a bit messy. I, I know living with a woman who's my wife, you know, it's always a little bit of a, a struggle uh, fighting over bathroom time and things like that. So I wouldn't want to do that. Plus, she's going to have all these guys over that she's dating. I, I don't think I would like that. And she strikes me as somebody that would probably be annoyed by a lot of my a lot of my quirks. So I, I would probably I would enjoy rooming with any of them but if i had to pick the mo- the one i'd like the most it's kramer and the one i'd like the least it's uh it's elaine I, I like to see the battle between you and kramer over kenny rogers roasters Giddy up. Battle. 800-848-9222 uh two open lines if you have a question on any subject this is the other side of midnight straight ahead it's the other side of midnight with frank morano Frank, anything. Uh, we're answering your questions on uh, on any subject. So, Matt, explain to me what this song is. What is this? This, this is a classic. This is Cool Mo D. I go to work. 
I bet you do. I don't understand. I feel like I'm backed up with four or five days worth of song requests that have yet to be played, and yet, um, and yet, we're playing this. I Hold don't on. understand. Let's go crazy. Was that on your list that for was. tonight? Yes it was. or no? Yes, okay. Thank you. Thank there you go. But and so that gives you license to play to play this. I, I don't this know anything about. It's a great tune. Is it great? All right. Listen to this. It's like spy. Sounds like a spy uh, thing going on. Well, you'd appreciate that. Yeah. All right. I go for it. It is what it is. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Frank, that was a terrible song. Just terrible. I, well, I know. I know. Uh, Mr. Frank, uh, the city of New York and its ultimate wisdom put out a video about what to do with a nuclear attack. Uh, they said to go indoors, shut the door behind you, shut the windows. Now, I thought that was uh, pretty moronic. But just in case I'm wrong, Frank, uh, I don't think my windows by Anderson are nuclear rated. What type of windows should I put in my house so I can survive this? <laughs> Neil, I'm the wrong guy to ask. And I know a lot of people were critical of my sort of being dismissive of this PSA. Honestly, I think if New York is attacked with a nuclear weapon, I think we're, it's over. I think it's over for everybody. I, I don't think that staying indoors and watching the news is going to do much to uh, to help everybody. So I, I can't speak to what type of window. Uh, my plan, if we, if New York is being attacked by a nuclear weapon, it's to finish my air shift and then get drunk. That is my that is the totality of my plan. We'll see where that goes. So I don't know. 800-848-9222. Wayne is in Brooklyn. Hello, Wayne. How are you, Frank? Good. So if I were to buy you a vacation home in any city in the world... Overlooking an ocean, beachfront property, mountains, rivers, where would you pick? You know, um, I it's very, very interesting because if I could buy a vacation home anywhere, it would be in one of two places. And it's because one of my wife and I go there so often. It would be either Cape May, New Jersey or Atlantic City, New Jersey. One of those two. And when I say Atlantic City, it could be the neighboring community of Brigantine or Margate. But I would prefer it to be Atlantic City. But, um, you know, look, there's a lot to be said for Italy. I'd love to have a, a vacation home in uh, in Europe. But I just don't know that I would have the occasion to get there as often as I'd like. I would probably – so I probably would say Cape May or Atlantic City because at least I know I'm, we're going to use it often. And I know that uh, we could always rent it out via Airbnb as well. So uh, it would probably be – one of those, one of those two communities. Uh, 800-848-9222. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Yeah, Frank. Uh, I hope you're doing well. You know, uh, recently I heard you had a, an interesting discussion about Gary Ridgway, the uh, Green River Killer. Right. Uh, you know, we all know who know about these uh, about the story. Know he brought so much pain and suffering to the uh, Seattle area. Uh, you know, finally and fortunately, through a DNA match, uh, he was caught. My question to you, because uh, you've had discussions on this with the experts, you would agree that the law enforcement task force who is tracking this uh, suspect, you know, for uh, somebody who is doing these heinous, these heinous crimes, 
you agree that they should have focused in on Ridgeway sooner than they did? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I, I don't pretend to be an expert in this case, Al, but uh, absolutely. If you uh, watch the documentary that I, uh, that, I, that I saw and that we did the interview on, that's my impression. Uh, they were barking up the wrong tree, and I think that uh, absolutely they should have been in a, uh, in a very different position much, uh, much earlier on. Hey, uh, this was a question that I got this week. Um, from Tom, who wrote, uh, you said on whatever, three days ago, quote, I consider myself a liberal. Point by point, if you go down issue by issue, I fall more left than right, I think. Could you cite those specific points and issues? So I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about this question, and I've decided I'm not going to answer it for a few reasons. One Because I know a lot of the audience is conservative. I'll say the majority of the audience is conservative. I really don't. And I think I connect with the audience on a level that transcends far beyond politics. So I don't really feel the need to go out of my way to tick them off by listing every single issue that I disagree with them on. Now, if an issue comes up in the news that I happen to comment on and I'm, I, I disagree with the, the bulk of where the audience is, then fine. But I don't see the, nece- the need to go out of my way to poke the audience and say, nyeh, 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 I'm on your radio and I'm liberal. I don't, I don't feel the need to do that. Two, I remember um, Jay Diamond once said on the radio that he was liberal. And Bob Grant came over to him privately and said to Jay, he said, hey, uh, listen to me, pal. Do yourself a favor. You don't need to mention that you're liberal. Don't ever go out of your way to say that you're a liberal. So Bob knew something about the talk radio audience, about not announcing that you're liberal. But here's the real reason I'm not going to answer the question, because I started to go down the list. And some issues are very clear, right? Um, you know, I, I, for instance, support the assault weapons ban. That's a liberal position. Uh, so I, um, you know, I happen to be against the death penalty. That's a liberal position. Um, I think climate change is very real and probably contributed to by man-made greenhouse gas emissions. That's a liberal position. But a bunch of, if you look at where I am politically, they don't necessarily fall on a left-wing or a right-wing spectrum. For instance, my biggest concern is political reform, and I am geared towards political reform, and I want wholesale reform of the political system. So if I'm for term limits, is that liberal or conservative? I have no idea. I'm for same-day voter registration. Is that liberal or conservative? I'm for nonpartisan elections. Is that liberal or conservative? I'm for initiative and referendum. Is that liberal or conservative? You know, I have no idea. Also, a lot of the things that used to be liberal are now conservative. Like in, when George Bush was president, if you opposed going to war with countries that didn't attack us, that was considered liberal. Then Donald Trump sort of adopted that philosophy. Now it's considered a Trumpian approach. If you don't want to do whatever Ukraine says and get involved on the precipice of going to nuclear war with Russia, you're a right winger like J.D. Vance. Now, I have no idea what I am. I'll tell you what my political philosophy is. My political philosophy is that the voters should have more power and that democracy should be strengthened and that individual voters should have more say. Economically, I am always for the middle class 
and for the working class. Now, sometimes that leads me to very liberal positions, like a higher minimum wage. I'm all for a higher minimum wage, 100%. Sometimes it leads me to conservative positions, like I don't want open borders and allowing illegal immigrants coming into the country and suppressing the wages of people that are in this country legally, especially working class people that rely on jobs in the construction sector and the agricultural sector and the service sector. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know where that comes down. And other things don't just like, for instance, Social Security. I'm all for um, raising the retirement age gradually, which is kind of a conservative position. I'm all for also means testing for Social Security, which is a liberal position. So I, I don't buy the conventional left wing or right wing Playbook. If you have a specific question, Tom, of where I fall on a specific issue, I'm happy to tell you. But I don't feel the need. And I started this. I started this exercise. I don't feel the need to go down the list of, oh, you know, I'm liberal on these 99 issues and I'm conservative on these 40. I'll tell you what I'm not liberal on. Uh, the, the culture of political correctness that seems to have enveloped the country today. I don't think that you should be canceled and lose your job and lo- or be uh, publicly repudiated because you told a Polish joke 25 years ago. Sorry. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Michael is in Queens. Hello, Michael. Bless your heart. You ruined my string of 26 calls in a row, not getting on the air. So thank you very much for taking my call. Oh, well, I'm sorry to ruin your streak. Even even Anthony Young made it to 27. I'm very proud. So, of course, I'm eating a chicken sandwich, but I'm not going to let that get in the way. Listen, for the game with the July 30th, why don't you do this? Make your exhibition game a showcase. And since the team is having a tough year, to say the least, take the best showcase players and let them play in the regular game until the players who stink just say goodbye. Could you do that? Well, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure our owner, John Katsimatidis, is listening. And uh, feel free. I guess you're suggesting it to him. I have no say. I'm just showing up. I'm playing in the game. Going to be happy to play in the game. So uh, that's where that's where things are. I, I have no say over the management of the team or anything like that. 800-848-9222. Jeff is on Long Island. Hello, Jeff. Hey, what's going on, buddy? You tell me, Jeff. I don't know. I'm over here in Manorville. Did, uh, uh, did you invite your uh, your buddies over there to your to your um, barbecue? I did. I did. Thank you, Jeff. Patricia's in Brooklyn. What's your question, Patricia? Yes, Frank. Um, when Baby Carmine gets a little bit older, would you buy a telescope for him oh. and ask Doctor Sky over to share his joy of the heavens? And if so, what foods would you share with your guests? Um, what what uh, what foods would I share with him? Yes, with Doctor Sky. Well, yes, I would like to buy Carmine a telescope as long as he's interested in um, in space and in the stars, and I, I hope he will be. I never had a telescope as a child, and I'm I'm hoping uh, I would love to buy uh, my son a uh, a telescope. And yes, I'd love to have Doctor Sky over. He lives out there in uh, in Arizona, but uh, he's from here originally, and I'd love to have yeah. him over. In terms of foods. Um, you know, we, we eat a lot of seafood in our house. So I think probably we would do, we would do some sort of, uh, some sort of a seafood uh, situation, maybe shellfish. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Patricia. 800-848-9222. Jay is in Ohio. Hello, Jay. 
Hey, Frank, it could be worse. You could be a Reds fan like me. <laughs> hey, we're doing great. First place, New York Metropolitans. How about that? Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm old enough. I'm so old. I remember my college professors smoking pipes and their tobacco that they smoked. What's your favorite pipe tobacco, Frank? My favorite pipe tobacco, well, I think in New York anyway, they have banned flavored tobacco, but I still have some. I like, and what my wife likes, I don't smoke in the house anymore uh, because of the baby, but I used to smoke a pipe indoors, and my wife enjoyed the smell because she felt it was like incense. What I like and what what she likes secondhand is the cherry pipe tobacco. So that's probably my uh, my favorite with Cavendish being a close second. I see. Uh, I, I enjoy honey Cavendish, and it's like deja vu. My dad used to smoke Captain Black, and my grandfather was a pipe smoker. And I enjoyed the secondhand smoke. It's yeah, so did I. So did I as a child. Absolutely. 800-848-9222. Billy is in Queens. Hello, Billy. Hey, Frank. I'm still trying to figure you out. I mean, you are an Good interesting luck. guy. You, you've met people. Uh, what's this accomplishment? I mean, you're on the airwaves. God bless you. I mean, you can make the world, the city, a better place. Uh, pe- people in the city look the other way when people are being victimized. I guarantee you, the call screener, he's the kind of guy that wears headphones on the subway. He don't care what's going on around him. And and you, you are the same way. I get that impression. I just don't get it. You can make the world a better. What sense of accomplishment do you get from talking about flying sources? Like, what if you if you what what do you, what do you achieve or you think you achieve? Well, what do I achieve by talking about anything, Billy? I mean, you I, can make the world a better place, Frank. Well, that's you can point out people's that, faults, Billy. That's they say, hey, Billy. Uh, so, well, first of all, Kenneth, do you actually wear headphones on the subway? No, I don't actually. I'm actually very alert, so I don't know what Billy's talking about. Yeah, so I don't either, but I okay. do. All I right, do I wear. Pro- I do. Um, I don't wear headphones on the subway or anywhere else, but I am kind of aloof on the subway, uh, even even without headphones. I just kind of get lost in thought. But uh, I, Billy, I don't view myself, my role on the radio, as being here to solve the great problems of the world. What I view my role on the radio as to do is to one have fun. And two, hopefully entertain people. So if we do a segment on UFOs or, you know, in the three in the uh, third hour, we're going to do a segment on ghosts, for instance. The only thing I'm trying to do is keep people entertained. That's it. There's no attempt. I have no illusion about the fact that I'm going to solve world hunger or end crime or people will hear the things that I say and they will burn their weapons uh, or turn themselves in for the crimes that they've committed. I don't believe that's likely at all. The only thing I'm trying to do here, the only two things, have fun for me and have fun for you, hopefully. If you're not having fun, if you're not entertained, then I've failed in my mission. So, uh, But uh, I don't view myself as somebody that's changing the world by being on the radio, except by maybe people keep keeping people company at night when they're a little lonely. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. We have two open lines left, and I'm seeing... The calls, uh, the questions queue up here, and most of them tend to be kind of boring. So if you have kind of outlandish questions or fun questions, call in with them because all of them I'm seeing are uh, so far kind of boring. So uh, we have five minutes left. Call with something interesting, 800-848-9222. Mark is in Garden City. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. How are you? Great. Frank, I have two quick questions, if you don't mind. The first one is that I heard a week or two ago that Bernie McGurk – got frustrated with the fill-in traffic man 
who I think is Frank Diaz, who I think works with you guys once in a while. And I was going to ask you if you know anything about that, because I tried to find it on the podcast. I could not find it. No, I, I didn't hear it. This is the first time hearing it. What was the nature of his frustration? Um, I, I heard that Frank Diaz was doing the traffic as a fill-in, and he was embellishing it a little bit. And I heard Bernie snapped at him to just do the traffic kind of the way I misused to do, if you remember. He would sometimes snap at people. Huh. You know, I think we only need you to do the news, that kind of thing. Yeah, th- this is news to me. Uh, Matt, do you know anything about this? No? You you, don't, you didn't hear anything about no, this at all? No, nothing yeah. about it. No, I know nothing about this, Mark. Sorry. And uh, it, it clearly was not that big of a deal because Sid loves to walk up and down the hallway right after I'm off the air and just stew about all sorts of gossip. So if it was something that anybody thought twice about – Minutes after it happened, Sid would have told me about it. So I don't think there's anything to that, actually. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Rob is in Yonkers. Hello, Rob. Hi, Frank. How are you? Good, Rob. How are you? Frank, I heard uh, a, a, few, a few minutes ago you said that you were against country assassinations of leaders. Is that correct? Absolutely. Does that include Hitler, Stalin, and Pol Pot? Uh, see, this is when these ethical questions become very difficult. So, um, look, would I have assassinated Hitler if I could have prevented the Holocaust? Absolutely. But the bottom line is you never know what you're doing. Like, I know what would have happened if we assassinated Hitler in 1934. I don't know what would happen if we assassinated Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin or anybody else in the year 2022. You just never know what happens next. So we can answer those questions about Pol Pot or Stalin or Hitler because we knew what happened with them staying. But there's no guarantee that if we assassinated them, that somebody worse wouldn't have come in. So look, if uh, knowing what we know about Hitler, yes, I would have killed him in 1934. But there's no guarantee that killing Kim Jong-un in 2022 or the, uh, the supreme leader of Iran or Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia or you, you name it, Denal in Cuba, you name it. There's no guarantee that killing any of these people in the year 2022 will uh, present the kind of outcome that folks uh, that folks hope for. 800-848-9222. Sarah is in Wisconsin. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Frank. Um, and I'm not trying to be a troublemaker, but I'm just curious because I listen to you and hear comments. Why did you and Mallory break up? Well, I mean, it's not – I think that goes into um, – you know, I think like a lot of relationships, it was not one thing. And I think if you asked her, she may have different answers. But, um, you know, we were together, I think we were together about, five, uh, let's see, maybe about five or six years, all told. And uh, I think we just wanted, um, I, I had a very, very clear recollection of why we broke up at the time. These days, I don't remember it as clearly. I think we just wanted different things in life. Uh, I think um, we, we just had different priorities and we were going in different directions. We ended up arguing about a lot of trivial things and we ended up spending a lot of a lot of time and energy arguing I felt and she would probably disagree but I, I felt that she was um, a little too jealous all the time uh, I think that was a part of it but honestly I'd have to go back in time 10 years uh, to, or uh, yeah I guess about 10 years and and remember man 10 years at least eight years and find what was going on in my head at the time all right 
Uh, those of you that are holding, if you want to hang on, you can be grandfathered in. Don't get used to it. Matt Blaze, Kenneth, Alex Barnard, do you have a consensus on who came up with the best question? It was very close, but we went with Alyssa, which is, you know, which cartoon character would you be? Alyssa, call back, get yourself a prize, 800-848-9222. Hey, if you're depressed, the good news for you, it's not a chemical reaction. Good news, bad news? I don't know. I guess it depends on your mood. We'll get into it. In the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. I think most people, at some point in their life, deal with the problem of depression. Everybody gets depressed. Everybody. Some people call it getting down. Some people call it getting the blues. It's only when depression... Look, and by the way, before you take anything I say to heart, you should understand I have no expertise in this whatsoever. But my view of the situation is it's only when depression gets to be debilitating that it's really clinically depression. And uh, that's when you need things like medication and so forth. And I've known a lot of people that have battled with depression over the years. And especially during the course of the pandemic, we've seen people that were teetering with depression be pushed over the edge. And a lot of people that have been wrestling with loneliness have gone into full-fledged depression. And I am someone that I have to tell you, I've always thought that there was a chemical element to depression. And I've seen a lot of families get depressed. I've seen uh, parents and children kind of suffer the same symptoms. And again, I hate to relate everything to the TV series The Sopranos. But if you look at The Sopranos, you have Tony Soprano. He suffers from depression and panic attacks. And apparently his father did as well. And apparently his son did as well. Now, I realize these are all fictional characters and we shouldn't be making clinical observations based on a television show. But for whatever reason, you know, you, you, you form whatever opinions you have based on whatever you're exposed to. I am someone that's always believed that you're genetically predisposed one way or another towards depression. Well, now 
there is some very interesting clinical results. There is no clear evidence that depression is caused by low serotonin levels, according to new research. This new research analyzed existing studies, and it suggests the condition is not, repeat, not likely caused by a chemical imbalance, and it calls into question what antidepressants actually do. Isn't that interesting? Because if the only value of an antidepressant is as as a placebo effect, you have to wonder what good it's doing for people. So researchers say their findings are important as studies show that as many as 85 to 90 percent of the public believes that depression is caused by low serotonin or a chemical imbalance. I was part of that 85 percent until reading these articles yesterday. Most antidepressants are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs and were originally said to work by correcting abnormally low serotonin levels. So the lead author of this study, and it's, it's a very reputable study, but there's no other accepted way by which antidepressants affect the symptoms of depression. The lead author of this study, Joanna Moncrief, she's a professor of psychiatry at UCL and a consultant in, uh, at uh, the uh, Northeast London NHS Foundation Trust, so she's pretty reputable. Reputable, She said, it is always difficult to prove a negative, but I think we can safely say that after a vast amount of research conducted over several decades, there is no convincing evidence that depression is caused by serotonin abnormalities, particularly by lower levels or reduced activity of serotonin. Think about that. If that's true, that means we've been treating depression all wrong for decades. If it's not due to low serotonin levels, and yet the fundamental aspect that make antidepressants work, at least in theory, is that they raise your serotonin levels, we've been doing this all wrong for decades. What do you think of this? What do you make of this? You think this... Research is all wet? Well, you think there's something to this? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. See, the popularity of the chemical imbalance theory of depression has coincided with a huge increase in the use of antidepressants. Prescriptions, this is a quote from uh, the same author, Joanna Moncrief. Prescriptions for antidepressants have risen dramatically since the 1990s. One in six adults in England and 2% of teenagers are now being prescribed an antidepressant in any given year. Think about that. One in six adults in England? Many people take antidepressants because they have been led to believe their depression has a biochemical cause. But this new research suggests... This belief is not grounded in evidence. Think about that. We've been prescribing people, if this is accurate, which, you know, what do I know? I don't know anything about anything. But if this is accurate, we've been prescribing people chemicals that don't do anything to treat what they're ostensibly supposed to treat. 
Does anybody else find that a little bit frightening? 800-848-9222. Professor Moncrief added, thousands of people suffer from side effects of antidepressants, including the severe withdrawal effects that can occur when people try to stop them. Yet, prescription rates continue to rise. We believe this situation has been driven partly by the false belief that depression is due to a chemical imbalance. So, how did this study work? Well, the Umbrella Review looked at all relevant studies that have been published in the most important fields of research on serotonin and depression. In total, these involved tens of thousands of participants. One of the findings was that research that compared levels of serotonin and its breakdown products in the blood or brain fluids did not find a difference between people diagnosed with depression and healthy people. The authors also looked at studies where serotonin levels were artificially lowered in hundreds of people. These studies have been cited as demonstrating that a serotonin deficiency is linked to a depression. But a review of the research available found that lowering serotonin in this way did not, repeat, not produce depression in hundreds of healthy volunteers. Isn't that wild? I found that to be by far the most interesting article I read yesterday. Bar none. 800-848-9222. Other studies, <clears throat> you're welcome to dispute these, this, this research, but other studies looked at the effect of stressful life events, and they found that the more stressful life events a person had experienced, the more likely they were to be depressed. Well, I mean... I feel like that's that's Matt Blaze saying shop at the dollar store for non-brand names to save money all over again. Of course, if you experience depressing events time and time again, you're more likely to be depressed than somebody that doesn't experience those depressing events. You know, a guy like Kelsey Grammer is just I, I never and it's one of the reasons I got such a kick out of meeting Kelsey Grammer when, when he was here. And I don't want to say we've become friends because we haven't. We haven't hung out or anything. But we're friendly in that he knows who I am. And then whenever he's in the area, he makes himself available to do uh, radio programs with me. But he, he is somebody whose life has been surrounded by tragedy. He was raised by – he had one younger sister, Karen – and four half-siblings from his father's second marriage. And he was raised by his mother and his maternal grandparents in New Jersey. And then the family moved to Florida. And then when Kelsey Grammer was 12 years old, his grandfather died of cancer. Then his father was murdered in a home invasion. Then his sister was kidnapped, raped, and murdered. Then his two teenage brothers died in a scuba diving accident. Now, I can't imagine what that would do to me. And the fact that he, I mean, and he's been really screwed up over this. He had a lot of uh, issues with addiction, drugs and alcohol. And the fact that he was able to overcome all that to be the most successful star in television, the best paid star on primetime television to me is incredible. And then the fact that he walks around here um, and he's so just so uh, I hate to use the term, but so normal and level headed and kind I just don't understand. I don't know that I could ever recover from that. My, um, so of course I think that goes to, that's pretty obvious that if you experience depressing things, you're more likely to be depressed. However, 
Larger, more comprehensive studies suggest this was a false finding. Well, so one early study found a relationship between stressful events, the type of serotonin transporter gene a person had, and the chance of depression. But larger, more comprehensive studies say that was a false finding. These findings led the authors to conclude there is no support for the hypothesis that depression is caused by lower serotonin activity or concentrations. I still, there's a part of me, look, who am I to question these sophisticated psychiatrists? But there's a part of me that has a tough time believing this because you and I could be in the same socioeconomic status, the same age, the same gender, and experience the same tragedy, and yet you're unable to continue. You're just broken down by grief, and you can't continue. You're clinically depressed, and I'm able to continue with difficulty, but I can continue. And why? If it's not something chemically in your brain, what is it? And that's what I think this research does not provide an answer to. Some evidence suggests that believing low mood is caused by a chemical imbalance leads people to have a pessimistic outlook on the likelihood of recovery and the possibility of managing moods without medical help. According to the research, there's also evidence from other studies that people who used antidepressants had lower levels of serotonin in their bloods. The scientists say this indicates some evidence was consistent with the possibility that long-term antidepressant use reduces serotonin concentrations. Isn't that interesting? So give me your take on this, especially if you've ever been on antidepressants. What do you make of this study which shows that depression is not tied to a chemical imbalance and not tied to the serotonin levels in your brain? What do you make of it? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Mary Beth on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Mary Beth. Um, Well, it's an interesting uh, subject. Obviously, they haven't gone far enough to uh, figure out what would help these people, though. Um, Correct? They're just saying that it's not a serotonin problem. What do they think it is? And how are they going to help people? Right. Well, that's that's not clear. Essentially, you're right. They're just saying that it's it's a problem that's not likely to be helped by antidepressants. Well, one thing that I always found very interesting um, was that, you know, I truly believe it is genetic on many levels. And I do think it's a chemical issue in the brain. But a very, very good friend of mine suffers from depression greatly and no antidepressants have helped her at all. And she broke her foot. And when she first broke her foot, the orthopedist gave her very high dose prescription vitamin D. And he said, you can't take this too long, but this will help with the healing. It helped her depression amazingly. And she said, she asked her um, psychiatrist, can I get this on a steady basis? And the doctor said, no, because high levels like that are not good for you. Really? Okay. Well, I, I, uh, I can't speak to that at all, Mary Beth, but it certainly is interesting. Now the researchers are cautioning if anybody's listening to this and say, Oh, I heard that study. Let me flush all my antidepressants down the toilet. Don't do that. 
The researchers are cautioning that anyone considering withdrawing from antidepressants should seek the health, uh, the advice of a health professional. And for what it's worth, the, a spokesman for the Royal College of Psychiatrists said, antidepressants will vary in effectiveness for different people, and the reasons for this are complex, which is why it's important that patient care is based on individuals' needs and reviewed regularly. Well, what kind of answer is that? I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a punting of, of the whole question here. 800-848-9222. Six open lines if you want to comment. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah. Uh, hi, yes, Frank. Hi, Most of these yes. uh, studies, to me, mm. have been geared by the pharmaceutical people to sell pills. Uh, while there may be some truth to some of it, I think it's gro- grossly exaggerated and should be re-examined, and to- and this stuff should be toned down uh, of handing out pills to everybody. One, in other words, one pair of size shoes doesn't fit everybody. That's all I can say. Well, I agree with you, Tom, but it would seem that this research goes against where the pharmaceutical industry and where the psych- psychiatric industry wants people to go because it's essentially making the case for not prescribing antidepressants. Yeah, well, no. What I'm saying is that it has validity. But what I'm getting at is I'm I'm going to the original research. Uh, The pharmaceutical people want people to go for pills and everything else. We see it with COVID. All of a sudden, everybody needs these vaccinations. we're we're really behind the eight ball. I won't dispute that, Tom. Thank you. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. See, this is music. This is outstanding. This is my kind of version. Uh, this is my favorite version, actually. And I love the uh, the original version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine uh, by um, Gladys Knight and the, and the Pips. But this version by Clearance Clearwater Revival, they actually made an 11-minute interpretation of this song. That, to me, is what this song is supposed to sound like. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm going to continue with your calls uh, momentarily. 800-848-9222. We got uh, denunciations coming up and uh, 3 o'clock in the morning uh, Eastern. That's midnight for everybody listening in Nevada. Uh, or just the third hour of the show for the many, many people listening on the podcast. That's denunciations. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to talk with Echo Boudin. Echo Boudin is a very interesting person. She has advice for you on how to not become a ghost when you die. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that nice? I don't want to be a ghost. Well, maybe I do. But we'll find out. We'll talk to her. Now, I'm going to continue with um, with calls in just a minute. I will say my Uncle Carmine, who I was very close to, and uh, along with my dad, was you know one of the reasons that I named uh, my son Carmine. And uh, I miss him very much. I never knew. His brother was my grandfather. That's who I'm named for. And uh, I, never, I never knew my paternal grandfather, the original Frank Moreno. But uh, my, his brother, my Uncle Carmine, was really like my grandfather. So um, he was a season ticket holder for the New York football giants from, I think, 1955 until he died about about seven years ago. Right. Was very proud giant season ticket holder. And what he would do towards the end of his life is he would only go for, for years. He would only go to one game a year. And then he would sell the tickets at cost for, you know, for whatever they would cost so that he didn't lose money. And he would just go to one game of the year. But he was so terrified at giving up these giant season tickets. So since he passed away, my cousin Liz, you know, his my first cousin once removed, Michael Carmine's daughter, she has taken over these Giants tickets. And so my I have two brothers, Nicholas and Alexander. So Monday evening. My brother Nick texts Alexander and me. And I don't know if you can appreciate this if you're not a football fan, and specifically if you have not paid attention to how crazy the season ticket holder situation is for the Giants. I was always told from the time I was a child that the wait list to get on the to get Giants season tickets was was like 25 years. That you'll never get it. And then they they raised the ticket prices and then they raised the PSL, which is the personal seat license, which is the the fee that you pay for the privilege of paying money to buy tickets. It's just it's it's such a boondoggle. But anyway, so my brother Nick texts me on Monday, uh, texts Alexander and me, and he says, hey, guys, I've been talking to Liz. That's our cousin about the idea of taking over Uncle Carmine's giant season tickets. I know you guys had said maybe you would be interested in splitting them. Is this really something you might be interested in? My response, yes, because I remember I know how difficult these tickets are to come by. How much money each? Alexander responds. Now, this was interesting. I don't know where Nick was. He was somewhere in the world. Alexander's having this conversation in Switzerland. He's in Switzerland right now, and I'm obviously in New York. And so Nick writes, it would be $2,000 to buy the PSL in September. That's the license to buy the tickets. Then for the 2023 season, it's about $2,100 for eight games. So it would be $667 to buy the PSL and about $700 per year for actual tickets. If you guys are interested, we would have to discuss selling some tickets every year, et cetera, and stuff like that. So I said, I'm interested. So grand total tickets, uh, PSL, et cetera, 
what are we talking about if we divide the cost by three? Also, eight home games now and two preseasons. Is that right? Nicholas, yeah, eight home games and two preseason. The preseason, you pretty much can't sell for much money. It's also not that interesting to go to. And I said, so maybe we take two games each and sell two. Nick, that would make the most sense, I think. Nick, I wouldn't have any desire to go to more than two games. I said, so we're looking at about $1,400 each before any resale opportunity. Nick, yeah, too expensive maybe? My response, I'm in. Up to you guys. So, um... He's sending me then links about this, about frustrated fans uh, are taking a bath on the PSLs and then Alexander ads from Switzerland. If the PSLs are so abundant, why don't we try to get the license from someone else for less money? My response, I'm up for whatever. If we do it, just let me know how much I owe. Happy to participate or not. And then ultimately, Nick says, it seems like buying a PSL in general is a bad idea from what, I, from what I've read on the Internet. So I'm leaning, this is what Nick says, I'm leaning on telling Liz no. Now, what would you do if you were in my position? My inclination, and I don't want to, I don't want to strong, uh, you know, I am the oldest brother, so they do defer to me once in a while, even though Nicholas is a Ph.D., Alexander has a master's degree. I am the least educated out of all of the Morano siblings. I don't have a master's degree, no Ph.D., but I do, and, I, and I'm the shortest, and I have the most gray hair, so I don't have much going for me. But the fact that I am the oldest, I get to play that age card. I get to play that older brother card once in a while. But I don't really want to twist anyone's arm into spending whatever I just said, $1,600, $1,400, for these tickets if it's going to be something that they're not happy with. So I'm curious if you have giant season tickets or if you have been presented with a similar situation, what you would do here. My inclination is to encourage them to go forward with this and have the three of us split these tickets in the manner that I've described, even with this PSL, which I recognize is a ripoff. What do you think? You're welcome to call in at 800-848-9222, or you can email me if you listen later or just want to don't want to go on the air, you just want to give me some advice privately, I could use it, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Amir in Boston. Hello, Amir. Frank, first I want to say every time Tom calls, and you lightly mimic him, it freaking kills me. I'm on the floor. Well, thank you. Yes. I, you know, Tom is such a nice guy. He's actually one of my favorite yes, callers. Yes, yes. But uh, <laughs> he does have a very unique way of, of speaking <laughs> that I just, I, 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 I can't help it. I mean, and it, he's one of those guys that and when he immediately comes to the phone and say, yes, uh, I'd just like to say. Uh, exactly. I mean, you mimic him. I was like, oh, my God, love. Do that. I think Jay used to do that too. I'm not sure. Uh, I think. Well, it might have been. I know. I know Bob. Uh, Bob Grant used to do that as well. Yeah. Oh wait. I, oh, I gotta go later. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. I'm here. Boy, what was that? Sounded like he was being arrested. Did you hear that? He waited on hold for ten minutes to make a remark about uh, Tom from the Bronx, only to say, "Oh, wait. I gotta go. Talk to you later." What could he have been doing at two thirty in the morning? What's going on there? In Boston. Been arrested or something? What is it? You got a cop behind him? Amir, give us a call back just to let us know you're okay. Speak to Kenneth. online at the drive-thru. Yeah. Like what, I had to go all of a sudden. Yeah. Right. Well, wasn't that weird? Very sudden. I don't know. I got to go. Okay. 
And he got all serious. He was in a jovial mood. He was relaxed. He was having a good time. Talking about tub for the Bruggs. And then all of a sudden, was, oh, I got to go. Goodbye. We, we never had this conversation. Sorry. If anybody asked where I was, I, we never spoke. 800-848-9222. Philip is in Brooklyn. Hello, Philip. Yeah, hi. hi. Um, my biggest problem with this whole study is is that all these studies on these antidepressants were really done with control groups, placebos, and all of that stuff. So what, what, what happened with that? I mean, they were all, you know, were approved by the FDA with all these controlled studies. So, you know, well, what do you say about that? Well, I don't, I mean, what's the alternative? I mean, they all have approvals from the FDA. You know, their studies show that they did improve, you know, the depression of people. They, they, you know, they took away the depression of people who were suffering from it. So with control groups, placebos and all that. So how do you just wipe all that away? Well, I'm not. I'm not wiping it all away. But Professor Moncrief in in Great Britain, she's wiping it away. That's a great point, right? Um, I think I think Philip. Uh, look, uh, you're you're you bring up such a good point, which is how could all these drugs have been approved? Comparing clinical studies of control groups with a placebo versus people using the actual drug, and the answer is I don't know. I'll tell you what my fear is. My fear is that the power of the pharmaceutical industry has grown to such a point that they have so much sway over regulatory authorities like the FDA that they could get whatever drug they want approved. That's my fear. And so I don't know what those actual studies show. And look, I don't know. I don't really I haven't dug into the nitty gritty of this new research either. The extent of the research that I've done is reading a eight paragraph article, you know, about an hour before I went on the air. So nobody should mistake my analysis of this as something that's thoughtful. The only thing that I am kind of taken aback by is that this is so new and that some very reputable psychiatrists and scientists are saying that they don't see a tie with chemical imbalance or serotonin levels and depression. And it just leaves me thinking, what have we been doing for 30 years if that's the case? I have no answer to your question, Philip, uh, as Unfortunately, I don't. 800-848-9222. Henry is in Woodbridge. Hello, Henry. Oh, good morning. Um, I've been on uh, antidepressants uh, a number of times over the years, and and they have been effective for me. Um, I mean, the original one, I think, was the mimpramine, and they just – it was a side effect more than anything else that somebody's mood was elevated. Uh, I find it very interesting because I've been on several different antidepressants, and they have worked to you know to to a greater or lesser extent. Um, I know one I had a terrible reaction to was Welbutrim, in the sense that I got nightmares and stuff, so that was not effective. But uh, it is it is fascinating though because. Um, you know, uh, I've seen, I've known, like, I've, like I say, I've, I've suffered from depression for, for many years, and I've had good results with um, with Serazone, which is the one that was sort of like a miracle drug or one that had a big breakthrough with the SSRIs, and very virtually no after effects and no, um, you know, no side effects, because some of the side effects when it comes to psychotropic drugs or, you know, antidepressants, they can be 
pretty rough. Well, so, yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's one of the things uh, that the authors of this new research are saying, which is that because the um, if if depression isn't really caused by a decrease in serotonin levels, then maybe all the side effects that these antidepressants cause isn't worth it. That's essentially the the research behind this here. But that yeah, I, that I understand. But I think, and again, I'm, I mean, I, thank God I haven't had to be on them for quite a while. But in my case, and I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't mean to generalize, but I think I do know that these they have been effective for me. And that what they don't know about the human brain is, I mean, it, it's. It, I don't mean to you know go off on a tangent or anything, but it's a very difficult thing to see because I've seen good. I've had good success with certain antidepressants, and I've had bad. You know, like any medicine, it's not. There's, there's no one size. You know, cures all. But uh, I think they, I think they, this this could open up for more uh, research. Oh yeah! Oh no, 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 no! Absolutely! This is uh, this is uh, crying out for further study. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, and I, and I, I would, I like again, I wouldn't want to generalize because I know many people have found you know good success with certain SSRIs or antidepressants. So. Uh, you know, I, I grant you, this woman sounds very, you know, sounds like a very well written and an intelligent, you know, article. But I think it's, you know, like you said, it was only an eight paragraph, um, you know, article. So, <clears throat> excuse me, there's probably a lot of stuff left out of it. But I think, generally speaking, I would, I wouldn't want to just out of hand just say, well, well, okay, if you don't have low, if serotonin isn't doing it. Than what would be doing it? I mean, it's it's a really interesting study. I thank God have found good success, you know, with the SSRIs, and so I wouldn't. I'd say okay. I, I mean, like I say, it's been years since I've had to go on them, but I think generally speaking. Like any medicine, I think it can be effective. Yeah, well, you know, look, use it used properly. I, uh, you know, Henry, I appreciate your perspective, and I'm glad you called. And I'm even um, more pleased that you're doing well now. And so, uh, look, I, I have nothing to add uh, to what you just said. I think the thing that we need to be leery of is these side effects, right? I mean, there's that old um, adage from uh, the film "The Girl Next Door": "Is the juice worth the squeeze?" And what the authors of this study are saying is no, it's not worth the side effects when it comes to these drugs which are designed to raise your serotonin levels when depression is not caused by decreased serotonin levels. I, I can't stress this enough that nobody should take any any psychiatric advice from me or this radio program. I'm just reading an article here. That's the extent of what I'm doing, and I'm curious to get your take on the aforementioned article. 800 848 9222. Amir is back. Amir, what happened to you? Where did you run off to? You had us frightened. <laughs> no, I do over eights a night. So what happened, I saw a $40 deal. I said, oh, wow, where's this going? So I just put my focus on that. I'm sorry about that. Wait, wait. You deliver or you were ordering? No, I, I saw, when you do Uber Eats, on the screen, a big number came, $45. Like, wow. Usually you get like five, six. Like, where is this going to? So... I was focusing on the town, this and that, the mileage, and I want to make sure my folks on the road, even though I like talking to you, I don't want to get an accident. So that's why I said, oh, I got to go, you know. I see. Okay, good. We're we're glad you're okay. Glad you're okay. Yeah. 
but later I listened to the radio, you were saying, I started laughing again. I'm like, where is he going? Where is he going? Is some sort of DJ or what? <laughs> Well, we're glad you're back. We were, we were worried about you. We were we were gonna send uh, we were gonna send um, what's her name in Boston out for you. Who's that woman? Who, Jennifer. Jennifer in Boston. We were gonna send her looking for you. God bless. All right. Take care, guys. Bye bye. All right. Glad you're back. Glad you're back. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. So there's something there's something interesting about Jennifer in Boston. I, I think she's probably attractive, right? What do you think? <laughs> I think so. I think, I think so. so too, right? I mean, she. I think she. She sounds like she's an attractive lady, right? Yeah. I mean, she. She. You know, she's, she's definitely interesting. Um, let me say hello to Michael in Manhattan. Hello, Michael. Okay, Frank. Two things. One, in reference to season tickets, my uncle had giant season tickets for fifty years, and I used to drive him to the games. And I have to tell you, I had to take a port, and we were on the 50-yard line, about five sections up, great view. I had to take a portable radio so that I could hear the play-by-play and understand what was going on. Mm. I had a much better time watching the game on television, and you could save a lot of money. But here's the point. We have these tickets for 50 years. He knew that he was uh, going to be going up to heaven. He got special permission to bequeath the tickets to his nephew. Um, well, well, no. Well, his, his daughter took them over. Huh? Wait, are you talking about my uncle or your uncle? No, my uncle. I okay, got it. Okay, uncle. so he got special but permission. But here's the other thing about pills. Thank God he never had to take any, any pills like that. But I have taken, and I wonder if other listeners had the same thing. I have taken over-the-counter PM uh, uh, pills, half dose, to help me sleep. And I can't tell you how many times I've had nightmares during the night because of taking those OTC pills. You know, we I have heard, and thanks for the call, Michael. I have heard so many stories of people that have taken Ambien. Now, that's not over-the-counter. That's that's prescription. But people that have taken Ambien and had a any number of bizarre things happen to them from taking it. So none of these pills are things that you should take lightly. None of these are things that you should that should be um, trifled with, in my judgment. 800-848-9222. Bridget is in Manhattan. Hello, Bridget. Yeah, hi, Frank. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, um, if, I, I know if your last caller or the, the caller before, Henry, gave you the name of um, some medication that helped him. I suffer, I suffer from depression. Um, that some medication. And would it be possible to uh, get the name of that? You know, it started with an S. It was Sarah something. But, I, I you know, and if Henry wants to call back, um, you know, he's welcome to and give you the name. But, again, yeah, Bridget, yeah. I would caution you about about just because it worked for Henry, it might not work for you. So oh, I, I know that. I know that, yeah. But can I t- tell you, Frank, I take, um, I take a medication called sertraline. Did, did anybody ever hear of that? S-C-R-T-R-A-L-I-N-E. But I don't feel it, it, it helps me in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I'm not, um, you know, I, I can't speak to that, Bridget, right? But um, have you taken any other medication that you found to be helpful in terms of des- depressants? I've been taking this now a couple of years. 
um, I, I didn't really, I, I, I've always had depression really, you know, I don't know what it is, depression, anxiety, I've had it since I was a kid growing up in Ireland, but, uh, but uh, what was I going to do, did I take, um, I think I may have taken, but I can't really give you a name to be honest, I think I may have taken it for a very short while. But I'm taking the search for a long time, but I don't think. Uh, but but I, I wanted to ask somebody about this that somebody was telling me about, um, and and they gave me a sample of it. It's called um, Rex, Rexulti, R E X U L T I. Did anybody ever hear of that? Uh, you know, uh, Bridget, uh, this is totally outside of my area of experience yeah, or that. expertise, uh, so yeah, I'm yeah, not up on that. Yeah, I hope your, um, your, your you. I know what you mean. Right, I hope. Sorry. You're, you're lucky, Frank, that you don't have to. You're lucky. Well, a, a couple of more calls from Michael in Manhattan, and I'll be there in no time. Believe me. Steve in Manhattan. Hello. All right, Big Frank. And uh, lesson number one, you can't judge a woman what she looks like by her voice on the phone. There's no way. I mean, Can't beautiful... you? Can't you? You don't think so? No, no. Be- beautiful women do not have to work on their uh, phone voice. Trust I me. Know, but I know, but hang on. I feel... Like, maybe you can't tell what they look like, but you can tell a level of attractiveness by how they sound on the phone. You don't agree? Oh, absolutely not. No no way can you ever tell what a woman looks like by their voice and everything. You might get a feel for their personality, but that's about it. Well, to me, that's a factor. That's a factor. Personality is a factor in attractiveness, I think. Yeah, but voices are contrived, and beautiful women don't work on their phone voice. And let's face the facts. Beautiful women get hit on all day long. Some guy's bound to say the right thing, and, you know, bang, zoom. And uh, as far as drugs are concerned, uh, we are an overprescribed country when it comes to drugs. We do know that. But there are a lot of people out there who are sick. There are some people who uh, prescribe themselves. They, They don't take their medication correctly. And you see a lot of people run around the street. A lot of homeless people are mentally ill. They're sick. And you'll have some bozo to clown call in and say, well, why don't they just take their medication? Do you think that person is in any position to have a, a regimen of taking their drugs? Of course not. They're a different example. They need help and they need people helping them. And then you have people who are severely depressed. Women get severely depressed in this country for whatever reason. They seem to be like the number one target for the drug companies, but I still think it's a, it's a medical decision and you need to have the best doctors around you if you are clinically, what they call clinically depressed and you're just, you know, the doctor is saying there's something wrong and you feel there's something wrong. All right. Well, thank you, Steve, for that uh, very thoughtful, sincerely, actually, I'm not mocking him, that very thoughtful um, commentary, actually. That's a very, very well said. All right. We'll continue with your calls on any subject in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is, well, let me squeeze in Joe and Ron Konkama here. He has a thought on these season tickets. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Great show. Um, it also put into uh, my friend gets jet season tickets. Uh, watch out with the COVID and uh, with COVID spiking now. Uh Two years in a row, he picked his uh, The first year, he couldn't even go to any games, and he was still responsible for paying service fees and stuff. Yeah, put that in perspective. 
Well, well said, Joe. Uh, m- makes sense to me. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, I, it sounds like my brothers are not enthusiastic about this, so I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, bully yeah. anybody here. But thank you, Joe. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's going to be another weekend where there's going to be plenty of sunshine around, apparently. At least it's going to be hot out. Oh, boy. Hey, you know what's back? I, uh, I'm i pretty excited about this, actually. Cassettes are back. Cassette tapes are back. I love this. I'm a big believer of um, any sort of throwback technology making a return, especially anything that's in the audio realm, because... One of the things that kills me, and look, I guess this is the direction of the radio business and this is the direction we all have to go, is that the people that run radio companies, and I'm not talking about our station, but every other radio station in the world, the radio is almost like an afterthought. Uh, they they put on these shows. Oh, yeah, we got to market them as podcasts because people under the age of 50 don't have radios. We got to market them as video. We got to market them as social media. And then I'm left saying, well, excuse me. Am, am I the only one that still goes out of my way to make sure I have a radio in every room in my house? And I – well, so anyway, let me tell you what's happening with cassettes first, and then we'll extrapolate this to the world of radio. It is time to dust off your Walkman because cassette tapes are coming back in style. Listen to this. Cassette sales nearly doubled from 173000 in 2020 To 343,000 in 2021. That is according to the entertainment data tracker Luminate. Sales have totaled so far 215,000 for this year, so that's signaling future growth. Artists who've recently sold new music as cassettes include Ozzy Osbourne, The Weeknd, Billie Eilish. So big artists, new artists, they're having their music come out on cassettes. So nostalgia has already fueled a huge surge in sales for vinyl records, making them now more popular than CDs. So why not cassettes also? Now, I realize that audiophiles will tell you that vinyl provides the best sound quality, and that's a fact that has helped fuel their comeback. CDs rank second with cassettes a distant third, but uh, and I'm sure Spotify is not exactly shaking in its boots, but I am glad to see that cassettes are making a comeback. And I am waiting to read the headline 
terrestrial radio makes a comeback. And when I say terrestrial radio, I am not talking about people that listen to terrestrial radio shows on their phone or on their smart speaker. That's all great. Or on their podcast or live streaming. That's all wonderful. But there's something to me that's special about terrestrial radio, listening to it on the radio. For me, there's nothing more exciting when I'm borrowing someone else's car and I, I, or I'm traveling somewhere new where my presets don't necessarily work, and I scan up and down the radio dial, and then through the static, I'm able to discover something, a new show that I haven't heard, a, a new DJ that I, I like what they say, a new song that I wouldn't have thought to listen to. And that is disappearing because now we're in an era where you just think of whatever you want to listen to and you can listen to it. Oh, you want to listen to 70s music? Boop. Let me press a channel for 70s music. You want to listen to 80s music? Boop. Let me press a, a, a channel for 80s music. You want to listen to liberal talk? Oh, boop. Liberal talk. Conservative talk? Great. Uh, you know, the, and I think that's so sad because that, that sense of discovery that you only have when listening to terrestrial radio and unexpectedly getting a station on your radio is, to me, unlike anything else in the audio world. And so I am waiting for the Generation Zers to bring that back. So hopefully they do well with cassettes, and then um, it's just a stone's throw from bringing back terrestrial radio to its glory days of where we were in the 1940s and the 1950s. So hopefully we get there. We'll see. 800-848-9222. See, the problem is cassettes in some ways are facing the same problem that AM radio was going to be facing in the near future is cars don't come with cassette players. So it's very difficult with the automakers not embracing that that technology. It's very difficult for cassettes to ever be back to where they were. I have um, I have a cassette player, and I have a cassette player that converts things to digital, but you have to do it in real time. So you have to sit there and and transfer all that stuff. And it's going to be fun to do, but uh, you really need a lot of time to be able to do it. Matt Blaze, are you a cassette guy? What's your deal? Yeah, you know, being someone that was fully entrenched in cassettes, records, CDs, I do find that I do like being able to say, hey— I want to hear Tavares, and I can put on Tavares in two seconds. At the same time, being a DJ, I do miss record shopping. And that was a very big deal, as any DJ knows, that you go to the record store, you go and you thumb through the records, you find the record that you want, you buy maybe five, six new records, and you go home and you play them to where you know those songs backwards and forwards. Nowadays... Because there's DJ record pools, I could download like 50 songs. And three months later, I'm like, oh, I downloaded that two months ago. I never even remember downloading it. You uh, don't know the music like you used to. Yeah, uh, that is a. Uh, that and, I have, is, and I do have a ton of cassettes, by the way. You, but now, but do you, do, Still. But do you have car or do you have something with a cassette player? Um, I do not. I have two like broken cassette players. And I've actually been looking on buying a cassette player. Well, you should get what I have, which is this cassette player that converts them to, uh, which converts them to digital. Yeah, I would buy then, something like that. Yeah, and rather than having to go through sound cards and all that kind of. Yeah, thing. Yeah, you know what happened is, you know, my wife. I never met my uh, father-in-law. He died before I met my wife. He died when uh, she was sixteen. But he was uh, the um, 
the pastor at uh, at their church, and she came across a uh, a tape of a sermon that he had given in church. And uh, I bought this cassette player. I bought this cassette player that converts to digital so that I could play it for her and so she could send it to her siblings, and they got a big kick out of it. And then I had this giant case of cassette tapes that Curtis had given me, and I started transferring all of these cassettes, and there's some great stuff on there, some great stuff. But uh, then ultimately my wife got frustrated that I kept this crate of, of, of tapes in in our in our living room and I had to go. Hey, by the way, speaking of conversions, this is one of the things that I was able to convert. This is um this is Bob Grant from 30 years ago interacting with none other than Tom from the Bronx. He is. Tom here on WABC. Hello. Hi. Yeah, Tom. Yes. Tom, what do you want to say? Tom. 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 Come on, Bob. Don't you ever get tired of calling this program with your dumb manner of speaking? There's a new page in our history. We're the best of pals now. Oh, you and me? Yeah. That'll never be the day, Tom. That'll never be the day, Tom. I don't hang around with guys that have uh, your habits. Uh, Anyway, listen, (laughs) listen, Bob. I'd just like to say this. That stop being so gloomy on life. Be happy. Oh, really? Smile, smile. Uh, smile. Smile, though your heart is breaking. He's a bore. I'll tell you, Tom in the Bronx sounds exactly the same now as he did 30 years ago. Am I right? Keep asking questions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, it is that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen. This is some people's favorite moment of the entire show. Uh, the time where I call out people's shenanigans. I call out those that need some calling out. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... I must announce Stop and Shop. Uh, Specifically, I must announce the Stop and Shop in Eltingville in Staten Island. Uh, Stop and Shop is a fine institution. My wife shops there. And lo and behold, we had this barbecue on Sunday last weekend. And my wife bought a watermelon on Saturday, thinking that people would enjoy a watermelon to keep themselves cool and so forth. 
We didn't get to it on Saturday. We didn't well, on Sunday. Yeah, she bought it on Saturday. We didn't get to it Saturday. So Monday, we're home, and she decides to open up this watermelon. It's bad. It's bad. We had to throw the watermelon out. The watermelon that we bought on Saturday was no longer good on Monday. I mean, come on. I recognize fruit goes bad. I recognize produce spoils, especially in the summer. I get it. Come on. You can't sell us a watermelon on Saturday and have it be inedible by Monday. Cannot happen. Cannot happen. Inappropriate. Stop and shop, specifically of Eltingville. I do denounce you. I must also denounce the FDA. You know, I'm sure you've been following what's happening with this sharp rise in monkeypox cases, and it's apparently expected to continue. And the FDs, the FDA and the CDC, as far as I'm concerned, have totally botched the distribution of these tests and of these vaccines. I mean, how many diseases can they botch? I mean, this is amazing to me. You would think after they screwed up COVID that they was they would say, all right, for the next one, we're going to be ready. We're going to bring our A game for the next one. And they botched this one. And it's not just me saying so. Congressman Richie Torres, Democrat, the Bronx, the CDC moved too slowly in distributing tests and the FDA moved too slowly in distributing vaccines. Now, I, I don't think this was criminal here. I think this was incompetence. Incompetence coupled with indifference to the needs of um, the public, specifically gay people, gay men specifically. So uh, the government has recently made another 131,000 doses available to states and ordered nearly 7 million. But these are not going to arrive for months. Months. So um, this is yet another pandemic botched by the FDA and the CDC. So FDA, so CDC. I do denounce you. I must also denounce these two L.A. COVID swindlers, uh, a husband and wife team who dodged the FBI and then joined the European jet set. Uh, These folks, this is a couple, um, Richard Avazin, and Marietta Terabellion. These are the leaders of a family fraud ring that collected $18 million in pandemic relief for sham businesses in the San Fernando Valley. Valley. It was one of the many lurid scams by grifters who lied to get rescue loans during the 2020 lockdown. And then with forged Mexican passports with photos expertly embedded They cleared their way abroad, and they ended up in Montenegro. And Rich and Mary adopted new names worthy of a 19th century novel. Robert Nico de Leon and Natalie Rose Perez Garcia. So back home in Tarzana, the couple had abandoned their two sons and a daughter. So in their goodbye note, the father... Excuse me, the, um, yeah, the father claimed that uh, he and their mom had no choice. Quote, while I'm writing this, our tears are dripping on our breakfast table. Oh, boo-hoo. Boo-hoo. 
without saying too much, we both love you more than anything in the world. So in Montenegro, the danger of arrest would be copy, would be constant. So it was sloppiness that had undone their COVID scam. And one small mistake was all it would take to upend their new life as rich Mexican expatriates living in Montenegro. They stashed most of their... We don't know where they stashed most of their stolen money, but it's clear there was plenty left for lavish spending in a town that travel guides call the next Monte Carlo. These people absolutely disgust me. They ripped off the taxpayers. They invaded law enforcement. They abandoned their children. They lied to their children. And then they went on to live the high life in Europe. I find this absolutely reprehensible. I hope they are able to throw the book at these people And uh, I hope uh, they do a lot of time in prison. I'm not somebody that roots for people to do time in prison, no matter what the crime. These people I find particularly disreputable and particularly disgusting. And I do denounce them. I must also denounce the person that attempted to stab the Republican candidate for governor of New York State, Lee Zeldin, Congressman Lee Zeldin. Attacked during a campaign stop near Rochester in Monroe County last night. Thankfully escaped injury and managed to uh, finish his speech. He was campaigning at the uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars post when a man jumped on stage and lunged at him with an unknown weapon. And uh, and then I saw the weapon. It looked like um, like the kind of thing that might, like a cat blade. Kind of like a blade, a, a knife in the shape of a cat ear. I think my wife has something similar on her um, keychain. Um, but uh, thankfully, Zeldin attempted to block the suspect, uh, who witnesses said was disheveled and possibly intoxicated. And the man then lunged at Zeldin once more, did not hurt him, thankfully. But uh, this, to me, is just uh, just horrible. Absolutely, absolutely Horrible. The suspect was then detained by a number of witnesses, including the Republican candidate for lieutenant governor, Allison Esposito, who was a 20 year veteran of the NYPD. So thankfully, nobody was hurt. But uh, I am going to go ahead and denounce the people responsible, the person responsible for this. I also want to denounce the scammer targeting donors to the memorial fund for a slain Detroit police officer, someone posing as a booster for slain Detroit officer Loren Court's memorial fund has been using a copycat Instagram account to solicit contributors to the real fund. So the Colin Rose Memorial Foundation, named for the Wayne State University police officer who was gunned down six years ago, launched a Loren Court's memorial fundraiser on social media after Quartz was killed on July 6th in an ambush. So Rose's former partner, foundation organizer Chris Powell, said someone cloned the group Instagram, the group's Instagram account. They're emailing people who made a donation on our platform, thanking them, and if they respond, they're running the typical Amazon gift card scam in which the grifter asks the recipient to purchase Amazon gift cards and give the scammer the serial numbers. Now... I mean, how much of a low life do you have to be to rip off the people that are donating to a memorial fund for a slain police officer? 
Whoever you are, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Chloe McLaughlin. Chloe McLaughlin, a 27-year-old woman from Washington, D.C., who ran into trouble in India when her passport expired and money ran out after hooking up with a man she met online. That's always a good strategy. What did she do, this daughter of a former U.S. Army officer? What else, what else are you going to do in India? She faked her own kidnapping in an elaborate plan to extort money from her parents. I, I find this just reprehensible. Now, say what you want about Curtis Lewa. He may have faked his own kidnapping, but he never tried to extort his own parents. Even Curtis had his limits. I mean, this is horrible. So, uh, Chloe McLaughlin, for both faking your own kidnapping and trying to extort your parents, I do denounce you. And this is something. I don't know who to, who's responsible here, but I am denouncing whoever was responsible for the release of the guy that shot Lady Gaga's dog walker. Have you followed this case? Nobody seems to know who to blame. The guy that shot Lady Gaga's dog walker was released from jail, was released from prison. Nobody knows why. They're blaming it on a clerical error. Nobody knows if it was the sheriff's office. Nobody knows if it was the DA's office. Nobody knows if it was the, 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 the jail itself. But sure enough, James Jackson was released due to a clerical error, mistakenly freed. And I wish I could blame the exact person or the precise agency for who's responsible for this. But there seems to be a whole lot of finger pointing. So they're, they're offering a reward for anybody that sees James Jackson and returns him. But whoever's responsible for the release of James Jackson, intentional or, or unintentional, I do denounce you. I must also denounce... Joshua Murray. I, you know, I can I can empathize with Joshua Joshua Murray, but I still have to denounce him. This is a Connecticut man who pulled a gun on two women after they didn't thank him for holding the door at a store. Joshua Murray of New Haven was at a family dollar store, taking Matt Blaze's advice in. Hamden on Saturday when he became incensed over the impolite act that they didn't say thank you for him holding the door. A witness reported that the suspect was upset that two women did not say thank you to him for holding the door open for them. So he whips out a pistol and flees. He's picked up by officers nearby. So he's been charged with carrying illegal gun, breaching the peace and interfering with a cop. I feel bad uh, for this guy. I almost feel like Michael Douglas in Falling Down. You ever see that picture? And by the end of the picture, you know, Michael Douglas has done all this bad stuff. And he says, I'm supposed to be the good guy. And you do kind of feel that for him. And that's the way I feel with Joshua Murray. All he wanted was a thank you. Why couldn't these women say thank you? Now, should you whip out a pistol when they don't say thank you? Of course not. So, Joshua Murray, for training a gun on these impolite women, I do denounce you. 
And I must announce air pollution. Air pollution is killing nearly 3,000 people in Massachusetts every year. Air pollution in Massachusetts, most of which comes from cars and other vehicles, can be blamed for an estimated 2,780 deaths a year, roughly 5% of the total number of deaths in that state. There are other harmful health effects, too. Asthma, low birth weights, lower IQs in children, growing up in areas with higher pollution levels. So, Amir in Boston, Jennifer in Boston, if your children are not bright, maybe it's because of all the air pollution there. Air pollution, I do denounce you. And finally... Good old Wallet Hub. I love Wallet Hub. I must denounce the state of Montana. Yes, I must. Hate to do it, but I must. Montana has been named in a new report, courtesy of Wallet Hub, the worst state in the entire country for teen drivers. Oh, yes. They compiled 23 different metrics for both general driving safety and for the financial implications of potential crashes and accidents. And when you take all of those into account, the worst state for teen drivers is the state of Montana. Montana, I do denounce you. All right. Uh, You want to comment on anybody that I have denounced? You're welcome to give me a call. We're going to discuss ghosts in just a minute. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Want to give a shout out uh, to my friend Imran Ansari, who's a great attorney, listening in France. We're at a much more civilized time there in France. You know, it's interesting. Once you get to France, what I understand, and I've been to France, but when you get to the airport, they greet you with all sorts of American-themed stuff that have the word French. So they greet you with French fries. They bring French toast out to you, French vanilla ice cream. It's really wild. And then they make you watch all these Jerry Lewis films on the on the flight all the way out there. It's really quite a surreal experience. I've been to France. It was quite interesting. Went to the Eiffel Tower at the top. I didn't care for the food there. I was a very young person. I think I was 10. So it was not really the... I didn't have a gourmet palate at 10. It was not great. But uh, I hope Imran... And his colleague, Arthur, have a good time in France. I think they're going out there to see the Rolling Stones. Still going strong after all these years. The Rolling Stones, God bless them. Hey, you want to be a ghost? Of course you don't. So if you don't, you're going to want to listen to my discussion next with Echo Bodine. Echo Bodine is an author and an expert in um, all things related to ghosts. We'll explore it straight ahead. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight presents. What you're about to hear is not a news broadcast. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. This is the Morano mystery. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. You ever see the picture Bullworth? I love that picture. And it's funny, um, the more time that has passed, we see more and more people in the public arena acting more like uh, Jay Billington Bullworth. But I'm mentioning this not because of the things that the Warren Beatty character in that film says, 
But because the things that a bum repeatedly says in that picture, he's always shouting to Warren Beatty's character this constant refrain, you can't be no ghost, be a spirit. And um, that's been on my mind a great deal as I have prepared for our discussion with this next guest. Um, Echo Bodine is a world-renowned ghostbuster and psychic, uh, and she's also the author of the new book, How to Live a Happily Ever Afterlife, Stories of Trapped Souls and How Not to Become One. Echo, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. It's great to talk with you. Oh, Frank, thank you. Are you kidding? It's uh, my favorite topic. Sort of, kind of. I can imagine. How does one become an expert in the world of ghosts? Well, what you do is you do ghost busting. A lot of people call it ghost clearing. You go to houses that are haunted for uh, 30 years, 35 years, and you learn a lot from the ghosts. So what about the first time that you ever came to ghost clear a house? How did that come to be? Frank, that was a joke, really. I mean, you know what? I didn't even know. I, I I grew up on Casper, so I thought that a ghost was going to be a little white blobby thing, and it didn't really have a personality. I just, I, I, really, that's what I thought. And so the first time that I went on the ghost-busting job, uh, I was with my mom, because my mom was a psychic also, and... She and I were both just in the beginning of developing our abilities back in the 60s. And a friend of hers had called and said, would you look in my attic and see if there's something going on? Because I keep hearing voices and footsteps. And uh, so mom and I went. Now, again, I'm in the car. I'm thinking, okay, we're going to go to an attic. We're going to see little Casper. Okay, so we get there. We go up the attic, and there's four people over in the corner of the room, but they're transparent. And I looked at my mom, and I said, do you see those people? And she said, yes. And I said, well, why are, what are they doing there? And she said, she didn't, she said, I, I don't know. And... <laughs> Oh, God, Frank. So I'm okay. I'm thinking, all right, there's four people over there, but where's Casper? And I continued to look for the little blobby guy, the little white guy. And again, we looked at these people and I just had the thought, why, why are those people over there? And into my head came the words, my husband was an alcoholic and a smoker. We all perished in a fire, and he won't let us go to the other side. Well, who was the he? It was your husband? Yeah, her husband. Wow. Or her. Yeah, I looked at my mom, and I said, did did you just hear those words? And she said, yeah. And we, we asked the lady, well, I mean, again, we were just so stunned, but we said, well, well, why won't he let you go on? And she said, he's afraid if he goes to heaven, he's going to get sent to hell for, you know, causing the fire, killing all, which killed all of us. And unfortunately, Frank, we, mom and I didn't know what we were doing. And so we 
we just thought, okay, well, all right, there's these people, and they're they're stuck here, and so we said to this lady, well, you can't be here. You you have to you have to leave. And honestly, they went through the wall. I mean, they disappeared. But by the time we got home, Carol called and said, all the noises are back again. So we had a lot to learn. And you know what? At some point, you're going to think I'm just a dunce. Honey, at some point I went, wait a minute. Is a ghost a real somebody that was a person? I mean, that's how slow I was about all of this. And every time somebody would call and say, would you come and look at my attic, or would you look in my garage, or would you look in the basement, I would see people. And that's how it all dawned on me, wait a minute, these aren't some white blobby things or scary monsters. These are people, and they have reasons why they're here. And that's how it all got started. So I I could understand that first interaction, and it sounds like it sort of happened sort of by happenstance. How then when how then do you become an expert in clearing ghosts out of residences? Let's say I've been referred to you by someone else that you've interacted with before and I yeah. think I have a, a ghost infestation or uh, in my home and I call you in, how do you know what to do? You know, honey, that's a very good question and I have a good answer for you. Uh, eventually at some point I started doing this with my brother, who is also a psychic. And, um, oh, okay, sorry, I set my alarm for when you call. There you go. Now we, we, you're awake. You're awake. <laughs> anyway, it's going off in the other room. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So what I learned to do was I have spirit guides that work with me. And the house that Michael and I went to, uh, oh, God, that house, oh, Frank, it was crawling with ghosts. I mean, they were in every room. Um, And, okay, so our guides said, okay, you go up to each one of them, you ask them what their name is, and you ask them why they're here. And that's what we did with every ghost busting that we went on. We, I mean, honestly, Frank, they're they're people, and so we would just walk into each room. What we do is we look for people, people that are invisible, but they look real to us, and uh, you know, they're people that you know. Then we tell the homeowner, okay, this is their name, and you know, Frank, they only there was only ever one ghost that told us his last name. When we asked him what his name was, he said, Mr. Peterson. (laughs) And we asked Mr. Peterson, why are you in this house? Why are you bugging these people? And he said that he built that house, and he doesn't want them changing anything about it. He loves this house. And so... Okay, we went to the homeowners and said, well, this is what Mr. Peterson says. And they confirmed that a Mr. Peterson had built the house. But now they wanted to make some changes in the house. 
And they said ever since they made the decision to make these changes, these problems started happening in the house. Things were being moved around. Lights were on and off. Um, oh, gosh. And, uh, spirit can communicate with – no, not communicate. Can uh, – what do I want? Um, oh, come on. Oh. Manipulate. They can manipulate energy. And so they can do things, uh, electrical things, more than anything, really. Now so – uh- Can anybody see a ghost, or do you need sort of special training or special expertise in order to see them? You know, honey, a lot of people see them. Um, Okay, a lot of people see a ghost kind of as a white, shadowy figure. Um, Sometimes people see them like a real person. They'll think, oh, my God, there's someone staring at me, and they'll look over, and there's the ghost. Um, but for Michael and I, well, my brother, he never had to take classes. He just was automatically psychic from when he was a little boy. But uh, Mom and I had to develop our abilities. And and then it just came with the, <laughs> I was going to say, it came, along, it came part of the gift of being able to see spirit. Now, um... Do you want to turn that alarm off, uh, you know, Echo? I'll, I can talk for a, a second if you need to go oh, and good. turn it off. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, no problem. If people are just tuning in, by the way, we're talking with uh, Echo Bodine. Uh, she is the author of the book, How to Live Happily Ever Afterlife, Stories of Trapped Souls and How Not to Become One. Uh, she's very thoughtful to set an alarm to make sure she was awake at the prescribed time. That's how you know the show is live, not pre-recorded. <laughs> But, um, you know, I guess we were a minute or two early, and that's what happens. Um, now, um, we've all seen well, – I think I don't know if we've all seen – most of us have seen the film The the Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment with classic lines. I see dead people. In your dreams? Dead people like in graves and coffins. Walking around like regular people. That film, uh, Echo, how realistic is that sort of thing where you have people that are normal people, be they adults or younger folks, that see spirits or ghosts walking around when um, other folks don't see them? Oh, that's, that's not uncommon. Really, for the for the little boy in the in the movie, oh god, it just creeped me out when you played that. Um, <clears throat> he, you know, obviously had a sixth sense. He had uh, developed his third eye, and so he was able to see these people. And it, it's not uncommon at all for one person in the family to be able to see ghosts, while the rest of them think you're crazy. And, um, you know, one of the char- – I don't want to give too much away because it is a good film if people haven't seen it. But one of the characters in that film, maybe more than one, they don't know that they're actually dead. And yeah. they're dead the whole time. How common is that? Could someone be dead and not actually know it? Okay. That is not as common as 
the movies or TV make us believe. Really, it's not. I, you know, Frank, really, in all the years I've done this, I've met one ghost who claimed, and he really did seem like he didn't know he was deceased. But, okay, this lady called. Every night when she went to bed, something would jump on her bed, jump on her bed, jump on her bed. She would come home from work every day. Clothes would be pulled out of the closet. Things on her dresser would be knocked on the floor. This went on every day. All right. And so they called. I went over. And it was a brand-new experience for me because I had never met a ghost that didn't know they were deceased. So this guy... Okay, when I first got there, there I walked every room. I did not see a spirit at all. And then I just sat on her bed and said, okay, he'll be here. And within seconds, this young man, um, God, how old would he, did he look? Maybe 18. This young man, spirit, ghost, he comes into the room. And it was really creepy because it was the first time I had ever seen someone look. Okay, it, it's kind of like the, in that movie. He had on a military uniform, and he had a hole blown right through him. And it it appeared bloody, and it, it really was startling for me. I just thought, what the heck? And one of my guides was with me, spirit guides, and he said, this kid doesn't know he's dead. And he said, you're going to have to tell him. And I thought, what? (laughs) How is that even possible? Well, okay, so this was around 1992. And, oh, geez. Um, So I said to the young man, what is your name? And he said, Kenneth. I said, okay, Kenneth. um, What what year do you think this is? And he said, it's 1968, and I just came back from Vietnam, and this bitch is living in my house, just like that. And he said, and I want her out of here, and I'm trying everything I can to get her out of my house. And so I I just sat there staring at this guy, and I said, okay, Kenneth, your last memory is Vietnam. Yes, yes. I said, okay, well, this is 1992, and it looks like you died in Vietnam. I said, look down at yourself. And he looked down at himself, and he got furious and started calling me a bitch, told me to get the hell out of the house. I had no right to be there. I had no right to ask him these questions. Uh, He said, just tell this B-I-T-C-H to get out of my house, and uh, then I can just live here again like I used to. I mean, it, you know what, Frank? That took—and then he left. He wow. left the room. So I just patiently waited because I knew he'd be back, and it took three hours of talking to this guy to finally get him. I mean— <sighs> Frank, it's more like ghost counseling than ghost busting. 
really, hey, honey. Um, the, the, as you, I'm sure you're aware, there are some people that don't believe in ghosts. They don't believe that when someone dies that their soul or any part of them lingers on Earth and, and interacts with uh, the, the world that they've left behind. What do you say to those people that might be ghost skeptics? Oh, well, <clears throat> I you know, when I was younger, I thought, okay, I have to prove this to people. I have to find a way to prove this to people. And uh, I finally got to the place in my life where, no, I, I don't know. I don't have to prove this. This is just what it is. You know, people, when people come at me and say, oh, you're making this stuff up, it's like, well, oh. Um, First of all, I'm not that creative, believe me. And secondly, I just explained to them, you know, we all have a soul and we have free will in death just as we do in life. And so when we die and our soul comes out of the body, it can it can choose to stay earthbound. And so that's actually what the book is about is the six main reasons why souls these ghosts have told us they don't want to go to the other side they want to stay here and you know frank i i just I, <clears throat> I mean how can you prove to anybody that there's a ghost i mean right. i just know they are right. i see them uh, yeah. no, and where do and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Echo Bodine. She is the author of the book, How to Live a Happily Ever Afterlife, Stories of Trapped Souls and How Not to Become One. It's available uh, either on her website or wherever books are sold. Uh, where do our souls go when we die, generally? Okay, generally. Uh, well, actually, everybody, except for the folks that choose to stay earthbound, but there actually is a place that we call heaven Uh, or the other side, and there really is a white light. It actually looks like a really, really big white full moon. And souls feel immediately drawn to that light. But again, we have free will, so we can say, no, I'm not going there. You know, Frank, the number one reason why these folks choose to stay earthbound is that they tell us, well, God can't find me as long as I'm still here. And if I go to the other side, God's going to send me to hell. So I'm just going to stay here. And and we say to these ghosts, really, you're just, you're just going to stay in this tanning parlor till eternity or this, you know, treatment center or this uh, school or uh, God, I, did a school, there were 36 teenage ghosts, souls, hanging around this school. And when I asked them, okay, why don't you guys, why aren't you going to the other side? They said, so this was their belief, well, once we get to heaven, we just turn into angels and we just play a harp all day. It's like, oh, my God. Or... Uh, well, there's no parties there, and there's lots of parties here, and we don't want to go. And that was the consensus of all those teenage souls. Heaven is going to be boring. I don't want to go there. I'll go there when I'm older. And so they just look around for groups of other teenage souls, and they go hang out with them. I mean, it's just fascinating 
to hear their reasons why. And, you know, when even when I tell them, you guys, there's parties in heaven. I mean, you can, you're, you're just going to, you're just, it's like you're moving from one neighborhood to the next. And um, you can do whatever you want over there. Um, it, it's, it's just a continuation of your life. So many of these ghosts are really resistant to change. They don't want change. They're afraid of change. They just, they just want to stay earthbound and, and, you know, but I mean, it's, it's a lonely existence. And so that's why we always feel like, you know, we got to help these folks go on to the other side. Are, are all spirits considered ghosts? No, no. Okay. The difference is, all right. So our soul, when the, when the body dies, the soul comes out of the body and then it just gra- it gravitates. It just slowly moves towards the white light. And when we get to the white light, it's been explained to me that the white light is like a porch light at the front door of heaven. Okay. And so that's why our souls are just automatically drawn to that light, um, except for the ones that choose to stay here. So, when we see souls, we call them spirits, right? But the spirits that choose to stay earthbound are called ghosts. So that's the difference. Is a ghost is simply the soul or spirit of a living person who is now deceased, and they are they stay. They look just like their body. They call them uh, the body double or their twin. Um, And again, they usually move on. And, you know, Frank, I can always tell a difference because, like, if I walked into a house and, oh, there's, you know, uh, the ghost. Okay. And if a spirit comes in there. Okay. The difference is that ghosts or souls have a cold kind of grayish feel to them and a spirit someone who's actually living on the other side but they've come to visit this side they have a very alive happy energy to them so there is a difference Hmm. and you know frank when i've done some tv shows i've had many camera people say, you know, sorry, lady, but I don't really believe in this stuff. And I, you know, I always say that's okay. I mean, you don't have to, but this one particular job, the woman that was haunting the house, she had lived in the house and she died. She had cancer. She died. And shortly after she died, her husband married the neighbor and she was furious about this so her soul came back here and she lives in that house now and she is doing everything she can to drive this woman out of the house so okay so her energy as always was cold not well yes it is an obvious cold I asked her, I said, would you mind if I had that man 
come over here and feel your energy. And she said, I don't care what you do. And so I said to the cameraman, okay, come here. I want, I want you to feel this. And Frank, it was really cool because he started, I, I said to him, okay, here's her head and just move. You can move your hands down and you can feel where her shoulders are um, or were. Um, you can feel it. And he was just like, yeah, whatever. But he did. He came and felt her and he was totally freaked out. He said, oh, my God, there is something here. And I said, yes, there is. And then he had the other camera guy come. He felt it. And then the producer, she had been upstairs talking to the homeowner. And um, when she came downstairs, he told her, he said, here, you got to come over here. You got to feel this. And she was skeptical also, but she came over, she ran her hands, you know, down the face and down the body, and she started to cry. And she said, oh, my God, I go, this is real. And I said, I know, Barbara, yes, it is real stuff. So back to your question, are all souls ghosts? And I say, no. Not all souls, not all of us are ghosts when we die. How does someone know if there might be a ghost infesting their home? You know, the one thing that we hear all the time is it feels like something's watching me. People feel, especially there'll be uh, one room in the house that creeps them out and <clears throat> So we usually start there wherever they find or wherever they feel really uncomfortable. And it's okay. So that is a feeling. They get creeped out by this feeling. But the other thing is ghosts get bored. I mean, after a while, they've you know, been living in this house and nobody's talking to them. Nobody is acknowledging them. And so they start making noises. They start, um, they can play with the electricity it, they can uh, manipulate it and uh, just do things, you know, turn your lights on and off, the computer, the TV, your radio. Um, people do hear footsteps. Oh, um, oh gosh. Oh, um, they can move tools. We've, we've been called to homes where there's workers there, like, like adding an addition onto the home. And um, the workers will tell the homeowners, okay, we get to work every day, and our tools have been moved. Uh, sometimes we can't even find our tools. What's going on here? Um, and some of these people, the, their, um, their carpenters, their workers, are say, say to the people, we are not coming back until you take care of this because – we know there are ghosts in this house. They keep taking our stuff. They keep moving it around. We're not coming back till you deal with the problem. So that's when we get the call, and then we go out and um, we deal with whatever is there. And then the people will call us, you know, two, three days later, say, gosh, there's been no problem. The carpenters are back. Everybody's happy. So it's really, it, how do people know, you know, a lot of times, I mean, we'll even say to the people, okay, have you called an electrician? Maybe this is an electrical problem. And um, 
so we cover the basis first of, well, it could be this or it could be that. And then when they say things like, no, we can hear someone calling our name or somebody starts playing the piano in the middle of the night or, you know, uh, just things completely out of ordinary, then we know it's like, okay, we got, we got a client here and off we go. You know what? There, okay. I just thought of a story of, um, there's one of the reasons that ghosts don't move on is they don't like change. They don't want anything in their life or their death to change. And so uh, we've been called by realtors who, who say, oh, my God, would you please come and look at this house? It's absolutely charming, and we can't sell it. And people come up to the door, and and then they just turn around and go, you know what? This house is just adorable on the outside, but I'm just creeped out. I don't want to go in there. So we, okay, so yes, we go to the house. And Frank, we've we've seen these ghosts standing in the doorway. Mm. They don't want anybody coming in and buying the house. They don't want anything to change. (coughs) Excuse me. And so they are keeping this vibe going there, and that's why nobody's coming in the house. That's why nobody, well, I mean, some people do go in the house. Echo, I have to run. We're just about out of time, but I have to ask, you are a Ghostbuster, first Ghostbuster that I've ever ever gotten to speak with on the radio. The film Ghostbusters, either the original or the remake, how realistic of a film is that? Oh, honey, not at all. Not at all. All right, well, so I guess they take some artistic license. Echo Bodine, check out her book, How to Live a Happily Ever After Life. Echo, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Thank you very much. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. See, this is nice. See, from the film Ghost. Very clever on the part of Matt Blaze, I must say. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hey, it was great to be out last night at the um, Old Bermuda Inn as I was there for the uh, 40th birthday party and the fundraiser for my friend, uh, one of my closest friends, actually, uh, Council Member Joe Borelli. He's actually the minority leader of the New York City Council. Now, I was happy to make a contribution. It was also the 10th anniversary of him seeking elective office. He ran and had his first fundraiser in that same room 10 years ago, and I was there 10 years ago because I was his friend 10 years ago. You know, I got to say, you know, he could have asked me to speak, I will say. But if you Now, I'm not complaining because, you know, I would have had to think of something clever to say and it would have slowed down me, you know, having a couple of drinks and a cigar because it was, it was nice. They had this outdoor area on a terrace where people can smoke cigars, which is kind of a nice bonus. But, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I'm making a contribution. We're hosting the number one radio show in New York, soon to be the number one radio show in the whole country overnight. And he could have at least acknowledged, hey, Frank Morano's in the room. Only, I only got mentioned 
when the MC, Vinny Ignizio, Joe was looking for Vinny Ignizio, and he says, where's Vinny? Where's Vinny? Did he leave already? And Vinny shouts, oh, I'm in the back. I'm behind Morano. And then Joe says, oh, Frank Morano. You know, he did, uh, the other side of midnight. Does a great job. I listen to him when I can't sleep. Uh, I could have done with a little bit more of a, a pat on the back. And whenever Joe's been in the room where I've been in a position to speak, I always kind of give him a, uh, you know, an, an attaboy and praise his public service. So whatever. It's fine. I was happy to be there. Um the, there could have been a little more food. This was one of those fundraisers where you go and you're still hungry afterwards because the food is just so – it's basically just hors d'oeuvres. Not even hors d'oeuvres. There was there's cheese and crackers and appetizers. So not happy with the food. Drinks were fine. Cigars were great. Um, could have been asked to speak. Just saying. Could have been asked. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far. Diana is in Manhattan. Hello, Diana. Hi, uh, I have a truly weird and crazy story. It's 1,000% true. I can give you the address and apartment number that I was living in. Anyway, uh, uh, in the early 70s, my mother had died when I was 15. Uh, we, uh, My grandmother and I went to Spain for two years. We came back. We uh, rented an apartment in Palisades Park, New Jersey. 475 Grand Avenue, apartment 3B. Okay, we move in. Uh, the first night, I'm asleep. I'm, I'm almost crying. It's so crazy. I'm, I'm asleep. I, I, All right, Diane, I'm going to have to put you on hold uh, because we have uh, news at the top of the hour. Please hold. Thank you. We'll hear the exciting conclusion of uh, Diana's experience in Grand Street in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until then, your influence counts. Be sure to use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. TGIF, thank God it's Friday, thank God it's Frank, the weekend is here. I am talking about the part of the week, not the musical artist. The weekend is not just a couple of days of the week. The weekend is a state of mind. And once this hour comes around, my state of mind is in weekend mode. You know, it's funny, two years ago, um, almost exactly, right? Um, maybe just shy of two years ago, I was sitting in this very chair doing this very show and the news had come out that um, Donald Trump had gotten COVID, right? Do you remember that? I do. I was sitting right here. And I said at the time, now I was a big Trump supporter, but I said at the time that whether you're a Trump supporter or not, everybody should be wishing Trump the very best of health and a quick recovery. One, because that's the human and decent thing to do. 
But two, if you're a Trump supporter, obviously you want him to be back at 100 percent and running the country. But if you're not a Trump supporter, the last thing you want is for him to be, God forbid, incapacitated and have Mike Pence running the country. Because you talk about going from the frying pan to the fire, it gets a lot worse if Mike Pence was president. I feel almost the exact same way with the news yesterday that President Biden has COVID. Now, I wish everybody good health. And um, whether you're, if you're a Biden supporter, obviously you want Biden to be, first of all, it's the decent thing to wish Biden a quick recovery. But if you're a Biden supporter, obviously you want Biden to get well soon so that he can get back to running the country and doing his thing. If you're a Biden detractor, all the more reason that you want Biden to make a full recovery in a hurry because, heaven forbid, he doesn't, then you're saddled with Kamala Harris. And I'll say the same thing to the Biden detractors that I said to the Trump detractors, which is, I mean, is that what you really want? President Kamala Harris? I don't think so. Or maybe some of you do. We'll explore that in a second. It is interesting. I was listening to the Cats at Night show last night. Great show. And uh, you can check out the podcast if you ever miss that show, catsroundtable.com. There's all the clips of the interviews. And they were interviewing John Solomon. And Lydia Serrani, who's sort of John's sidekick on that show, asks a question about President Biden having COVID. And this this is what she said. Charlie Gasparino, he tweeted this before, the chatter on Capitol Hill that the Democrats will use Joe Biden's COVID diagnosis as an excuse for him to not run in 2024 because he'll suffer bouts of long COVID because of his age. They think this is some sort of face-saving way for him to bow out. Obviously, this is speculation, but this kind of chatter is making the rounds, according to Charlie Gasparino. I'm skeptical of that, but I don't think that's the craziest thing I've heard. Look, if you look at President Biden's poll numbers among Democrats, among Republicans, among independents, he's underwater. And if the Democrats take a bath in the midterms, which we'll we'll go over in just a minute, and you have to think that the Democrats, a lot of them, want an alternative to Biden. Now, I am amazed that Biden is still planning on running for re-election. And if he if they lose 40 or 50 seats in the House this year, I can't see how the Democratic Party, even though I understand he controls the apparatus of the DNC, I can't see how they let him run because he's going to take the whole party with them in an electoral debacle. I really think it's going to make it. Uh, I mean, again, again, in politics, a week is a lifetime. Two years is 10 lifetimes. Who knows where the country will be two years from now? But if his numbers remain where they are two years from now, he's going to have a very difficult time. And so let's say he does run for reelection. I think there is a better than even chance that he has a serious primary opponent. Along the lines of what Gerald Ford faced with Ronald Reagan in 1976, along the lines of what George H.W. Bush faced in 1992 with uh, Pat Buchanan, along the lines of what Jimmy Carter faced with Ted Kennedy in um, uh, 1980. And the Washington Post did an interesting little article. This is before the president had COVID. But what they did was they did an analysis by Aaron Blake, who's actually a pretty good writer for the Washington Post, the top 10 Democratic candidates for president in 2024 ranked. And what I'd like to do, I'm going to read you this list, but if you're a Democrat, wherever you fall in the party, liberal Democrat, conservative Democrat, whatever the case may be, 
If you're a Democrat, I would love to know who you would prefer as the nominee to Biden and why. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Here are some of the alternatives that they mention. I'll go from 10 to 1, okay? Number 10, and I think I don't think this is likely, but it's possible because she's one of the few people that can raise the amount of money necessary to mount a, a primary challenge to a sitting president. Number 10, as listed by the Washington Post, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She'll be old enough to run in 2024. She will be eligible. She has not pledged ever to support Joe Biden. She has not said she'll defer to Joe Biden. She declined to say that she'll back Joe Biden. So um, it's clear she's never liked Biden, you know, as politically or personally. I could absolutely see a scenario where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez represents the far left wing of, of the Democratic Party in a primary against Biden. I could absolutely see it. Number nine, this actually, this person, I think would have a tough time in the primaries, but I think would actually be one of the stronger Democratic candidates in the general election. Roy Cooper, the governor of North Carolina, Uh, a longtime former state attorney general. He had to be talked into running for governor a few years ago. So who knows if he has the fire in the belly necessary to run for president. But uh, he can make an argument that he has won repeatedly in a red state. That's what I think the Democrats need if they're going to be competitive in the current climate in a general. They need someone like a Sherrod Brown, a John Tester, somebody who has... Uh, a, 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 a Tim Ryan, somebody that has an ability to get elected in a red state. And I think Roy Cooper, I think he would have a very tough time in a primary, but I think he'd be formidable in a general. Then number eight, they list the uh, Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer. Number seven, the California governor, Gavin Newsom. Number six, uh, Vermont U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders. Number five, the senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. Number four, the senator from uh, Minnesota, Amy Klobuchar. Number three, Vice President Kamala Harris. Number two, Pete Buttigieg. And then number one, uh, they list Joe Biden. Uh, so, the, you know, the person they don't list, interestingly enough, Hillary Clinton. So I'm curious if you're a Democrat, uh, two open lines if you want to comment, 800-848-9222. Who would you like to see run? in 2024 in place of Biden? Uh, Or who would you like to see primary Biden? Does anybody on that list appeal to you, or is there somebody else that you would like? I tell you the problem that the Democrats have as a party. In the midterms and going into 2024, they have a problem with working-class voters. And they have a problem not just with working-class whites, who everybody pinned the Donald Trump victory of 2016 on, They have a problem with multiracial working class voters. And uh, if you look at the numbers in 2020, President Trump carried the overall working class, that's non-college, vote by four points. That's about the same margin he had in uh, 2016. The same data also shows Republicans carrying the working class congressional vote in three of the last four elections. So if you look... At what's happened here, 
the role of the Democrats and the Republicans, at least in the perception of the eyes of voters, has almost flipped. The Democrats, which were always seen as the working man's party, the party of labor unions, the working guy, now it's seen as a party of elitists, of white elitists. And increasingly, the Republicans are becoming a multiracial working class party. Uh, whether they should be or not, that's a separate issue. But at least in terms of the attitude of the voters, that's the way we're going. This is, <clears throat> let me read you something from um, from Robert Reich, the former Secretary of Labor and a brilliant guy. A very progressive economist, but whether you whether you're conservative or liberal, I don't think you can dispute that Robert Reich is a brilliant guy, um, even if you end up disagreeing with him. He says, uh, <clears throat> and I can't avoid, I, I, I'll read this as in my best Robert Reich impersonation. Much of today's Republican Party is treacherous and treasonous. So why are Democrats facing midterm elections that... According to most political observers, they're likely to lose. Having been a loyal Democrat for some 70 years, my father liked Ike, but my mother and I were for Adley, including a stint as a cabinet secretary. It pains me to say this, but the Democratic Party has lost its way. Robert Reich, as progressive as they come, he says the Democratic Party has lost its way. Now, how? How? This is interesting here. Some commentators think the Democrats have moved too far to the left, too far from the so-called center. This is, and I'm still quoting Reich here, even though I've stopped talking like Robert Reich. This is utter rubbish. Where's the center between democracy and authoritarianism? And why would Democrats want to be there? Others think Biden hasn't been sufficiently angry or outraged. Please, what good would that do? And after four years of Trump, why would anyone want more anger and outrage? Listen to this word, these words, and I think he's right on the money here. The biggest failure of the Democratic Party, a disease that threatens the very life of the party, has been its loss of the American working class. As Democratic pollster Stanley Greenberg concluded after the 2016 election, Democrats don't have a white working class problem. They have a working class problem, which progressives have been reluctant to address honestly or boldly. The fact is that Democrats have lost support with all working class voters across the electorate. He is exactly right. The working class used to be the bedrock of the Democratic Party, and the Democrats have lost that. And so I think unless the Democrats can figure out a way to reach out to working class voters again, they're in for a world of hurt. Or hurt. I really do believe that. So um, if you want to answer the question on um, if you're a Democrat who you'd like to see run in 2024 or if uh, you have a solution to the Democrat working class problem that they seem to be having you're welcome to comment you are also welcome to comment on anything else we're covering and then we're going to hear the end of diana's ghost story in just a minute 800-848-9222 let me begin with uh alex in brooklyn hello alex hey frank thanks for taking the call by the way the solution for the democrats to get back some of the working class people is to put 
Joe Manchin on the ticket to run for 2024. I think he'd be the only one to, you know, be able to get some of those votes. But I, you, the most crazy thing that I, I ever heard was what you played Lydia Serrani saying that the Democrats are going to use Joe Biden, ha, Joe Biden getting COVID now to put him, push him out of the race in 2024 because they're going to say that he had COVID for two years straight. I think there, there's got to be an easier way to get him out of the uh, to get him out of the White House before 2024. They don't have to use COVID that start that he got in 2022. But I also wanted to say about AOC running. I am 100 percent sure that she's not going to run for the 2024 presidential um, you know, race in the primary because she is well known already by all everybody in the United States she doesn't need the attention and she knows that the, her democratic party is not at the point yet where they're so so um extreme as she is and there are enough moderates in the democratic party that aren't going to let her win but what is going to happen is that a AOC wannabe Someone part of that's part of the squad or wants to be part of the squad is going to run, and I think AOC. Is well, who is that person? Who is that person? I don't. I don't know who that would be. All right. Well, may, who knows? Neither do I. I. I don't think anybody in that so-called squad, Ilhan Omar, uh, Jamal Bowman, Mondaire Jones, uh, Rashida Tlaib. I don't think any of them have the kind of nationwide social media prowess and the nationwide fundraising apparatus that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez does. Make no mistake, I don't think it's likely that she's going to run for president. If anything, I think that what uh, O.B. Murray said when he was here was was much closer to the truth. I think there's a much better shot that she runs for U.S. Senate from New York, either against Kirsten Gillibrand or if Gillibrand doesn't end up running for the open seat in 2024. I could easily see that happening. 800-848-9222. Mike is in West Palm Beach. Hello, Mike. Eric is in Manhattan. Hello, Eric. What was that? <laughs> that was Stephen um, Manhattan right. doing his best Mike in West Palm impersonation. <laughs> um, I, I was only able to catch part of your interview with the young lady who was a psychic. I think you got to talking about the visible spectrum. Um, I heard recently, I mean, it's kind of interesting, that the military had to um, they had to modify some of their optics because they were seeing these things that um, are always around us, living things supposedly at the... Um, uh, that you can't, they're not visible to the, to the naked eye, you know, so, um, and it was always a little crazy. Um, <laughs> and online, like, oh, 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 if we can't see it, it must not be important, you know? So, I don't know. Uh, so that might, might get a kick of that. But I mean, I've heard it in different places and stranger things are true. So, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I, I don't know, Eric. Uh, this is outside my realm of expertise. Uh, I, I just don't know. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Rochelle Park. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. How are you? 24 hours ago, we were wondering about Joe Biden's uh, oil cancer that uh, he had. And I really – I know he has COVID, and I do wish him well. And I, I think what you said, we should wish the uh, – most powerful man in the free world to be to be well but i think they're going to use this as an excuse i don't think we see joe biden talk in public again i don't know if it's going to 
be resigned, but I don't see we I don't think we see him talk again. What are your thoughts? Uh, I don't know. I honestly I don't know the real condition with his health, but a lot of people speculate that that's what the Russians did with Boris Yeltsin. I have a friend that was the Secretary of State. He was an American, but he worked for the um the Secretary of State in Russia and uh, worked there for many years. And maybe we'll get him on the show actually one of these days. He's a pretty interesting guy. But uh, he said that he never saw Yeltsin again after Yeltsin had a heart attack, and he was still president for about another two years. They basically stuck Yeltsin in this basement, and it wasn't really clear how much control Yeltsin was really exercising over the Russian government at the time. 800-848-9222. I'd love, and the one, two, three, four open lines that we have, one, if you're a Democrat, who would you like to see run in 2024? Could be anybody. doesn't have to be somebody that I listed. And two, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or an independent, what would you do to solve the Democrats' working class problem? See, I think it was uh, Alex or, or one of the other gentlemen that called who said, oh, put Joe Manchin on the top of the ticket. I think it comes down – I think it's more than personalities. I think it's a reflection of issues – And I think that the Democrats as a party need to focus more on economic issues, bread and butter issues, instead of where people are going to the bathroom and uh, all sorts of issues about uh, canceling comedians and so forth. You know, it's funny. I spent a lot of time this week, uh, you know, uh, trying to answer that question of where I am politically. And I came across a very interesting column in the New York Times from September 8th, 2021, opinion section. And it's an interactive thing. It's really interesting. In fact, I'm going to link to it uh, on uh, my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan, And it's written by a fellow named Lee Drutman, who's a brilliant guy who's, who I've interviewed before and who we'll have back again sometime soon. And you can go through a quiz on this uh, on this thing here. And... Every you answer these 20 questions and it tells you if America had six political parties where you would come down on the issues. And it's basically his way of making the case for proportional representation. But I went through these issues and what I came down and who's to say this is accurate. But where I came down on this interactive graph here was being a member of the theoretical American Labor Party. And in his view, again, this is these are fictitious parties, but in in his worldview, the American Labor Party is focused on economic populism with an appeal to working class Democrats who don't have college degrees and don't follow politics closely. It's more moderate on social and cultural issues compared with the progressive party, but also more diverse, appealing to many working class Hispanics. Its potential leaders include Sherrod Brown, John Tester and Tim Ryan. That is where I think the Democrats have lost. They have abandoned the message of economic populism. And I think the more you hear, the the more they put people like Tim Ryan, John Tester, Sherrod Brown on, on their main issue stage, that's going to produce a better Democratic Party and ultimately a better country. Because from where I'm standing, I think we want the best Democratic Party we can possibly have and the best Republican Party that we can possibly have. Because when you have two great parties, ideally more than two, but when you have two great parties putting forth great candidates 
asking for your vote, fighting for your vote, begging for your vote. We're the big winners. You want to be able to vote for the best of the best, not the best of the worst. So um, that's my advice. Not that the Democrats are going to take advice from me, but if I were consulting them, my uh, er, my advice would be to abandon all this identity politics, abandon all this uh, wiping out American history, redoing James Madison's house, uh, you know, deleting any references to gender in old legislation. And instead, focus on bread and butter issues surrounding economic populism. That's my take. 800-848-9222. I'd love to hear yours. Laura is on Staten Island. Hello, Laura. Yeah, hello, Frank. Um, Michelle Obama would certainly be the best candidate for our Democratic Party. She has so much recognition and so many admirers because of what she did when her husband was president with healthy lunches for the kids that she showed that she really cares about the younger generation and we really admire so much and I think that she would be the best candidate. I think that would be uh, certainly a formidable candidate, Laura. I don't think that um, she would ever run. Uh, I think she has all the – as I was talking to Governor Patterson about this the other day, I think she has all the benefits of potentially being president, but none of the stuff that's annoying about the job. She can speak out on whatever issue she wants and immediately make it an issue that the whole country focuses on. She gets to go to all the good parties. She also gets to make money writing books and giving speeches – She gets to enjoy Secret Service protection. Her endorsement is probably the most valuable endorsement in the Democratic Party in any primary election, except for maybe her husband, maybe even more so than her husband. But um, I don't think she wants any desire to be part of the nitty gritty, uh, the, the rough and tumble world of electoral politics, personally. I don't think so. So, um but we'll see. Never, never know. Hey, um, I, Diana, I, I know I took a while to get back to her. and I think she hung up. If she wants to call back and finish her ghost story, she's she's welcome to. Tom is in New Jersey. Hello, Tom. Yeah, how you doing, uh, young man? Uh, I got a couple things to say. First of all, with Trump, you know why? You know why Trump's not at 90 percent is because the media in six years have been trashing him every day, every minute, every 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 week. Every other month, that's why. They're brainwashing America. If they knew about Trump, he'd be 95% uh, people want to vote for him. That's the first thing. Number two, uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not the president. Obama's already the president. It's a, th- it's a third term, Obama. Don't you see what's going on? And, number, and what the lady said, she wants Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama's a big racist. Who's going to vote for Michelle Obama? Thank you. All right. There you go. Any questions? Any questions for Tom in New Jersey? I think that matter is is settled. Okay. Right. Uh, David in the Bronx. Hello, David. Yes. Good morning. All right. I would like to keep Joe Biden as the nominee in 2024. As far as Democrats not being uh, for the working class, that is 100 percent nonsense. And you know it. Democrats are not pushing cutting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and Obamacare, unlike Republicans. 
Where is the agenda for working class people from Republicans? Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. I I agree with you. I one hundred percent agree with you. I think there are um, there are nuggets of economic populism from certain Republican candidates, but uh, yeah, but I think uh, as a whole, I don't see the Republicans uh, doing anything in any meaningful way uh, to reach out to uh, to working class voters. I, I agree with that. Right, because all they have is the cultural issues, which they blow out of proportion. And listen, I'm well, I mean, it is left. it is politics, David. I mean, I mean, well, that's listen, what parties do. You know. No, I understand. Listen, I live in uh, AOC's district up in the Bronx. I am not an AOC fan. She is not an accomplished person. She hasn't done anything except scare away jobs, like with that Amazon project in Queens a few years ago. That is not the future of the Democratic Party, contrary to what the press says. And because I'm blind, I don't know what this woman looks like, but she has one of the most shrill, annoying voices of any politician that I've heard in a long time. Isn't that a little superficial, though, David? I mean, I have no interest in defending Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, but I mean, a lot of people pick on Biden or other people because of the way they look or the way they sound like. Should you really be picking on a congresswoman because you don't like the sound of her voice? What, no, the reason I'm picking on her, Frank, is because she hasn't done anything. Well, she that's got arrested fair, sure. the other day in front of the Supreme Court, and people are on Twitter, oh, she should run in 2024. For doing what? I, I, you have to have accomplishments. Da- well, she has none, and she won't have any. David, uh, unfor- thank you for the call. Unfortunately, one of the things that we've seen in recent years in presidential elections is the less that you've done, the more it helps you. In a presidential race, because if you've been in politics for a long time as a senator, as a governor, as a congressman, you have a record and that record follows you. Now, let's look at who's been successful in recent years and who hasn't in terms of just getting the nomination. And then maybe we'll look at winning the election. Donald Trump never held an elective office in his life. So he was able to um, not have any record around them. He changed his position on a whole bunch of things, from single-payer health care to taxes to a bunch of things. But because he never really did anything legislatively on those issues, it really didn't hurt him. Now, Biden is the exception. He did have a lengthy career in public life, and that hurt him to some extent. If you look at 2012, uh, out of all those Republicans that ran that year, who won? A guy with one of the most lackluster records in public life, Willard Mitt Romney. He had been a governor of a state for four years. Had done almost nothing. That helped. And who beat? Who won in 2008? Um, Barack Obama, first-term senator. He outlasted Hillary Clinton, who had a much more substantial record in public life, and a lot of other candidates, Democrat and uh, Republican, that had a much more substantial record. George Bush had only been governor of uh, a, a state for six years. Um, the fact that he didn't have a record helped him. It, it really did. Uh, John Edwards, the fact that he ran in both 2004 and 2008, uh, having only served a single term in the Senate, that helped him. Because unfortunately, one of the things that we see now, it's not your accomplishments that drive whether or not you get a nomination. It's how you're able to sell and package yourself to the American people. Otherwise, you know, we would have not only seen Hillary Clinton elected in 2016, we would have seen John McCain elected in 2008, Bob Dole elected in 1996, right? So uh, Jerry Brown elected in 1992, right? So we would have seen 
a lot, a lot of things happen differently. So the fact that a person doesn't have a legislative record, I don't view, I think that's almost meaningless when you're termed handicapping a race. Unfortunately, for better or worse, and I think it is for, for worse, what matters most in a presidential election is ability to raise money and ab- ability to get media attention. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can do that in spades. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike. How you doing, Ed? Frank. Well, first of all, uh, Elsie Gibbon, uh, that, that girl from Hawaii. Yes, the she, she, former congresswoman, she, and military veteran, she, she decorated. That's right. Should have been a Democratic uh, nominee for president. And she should have, I thought, and, and she should have been, you know, for the vice president. Want a woman, a woman of color, whatever. No matter what color, whatever, but she was, she was the girl. You know, she was the girl. She was the person that could do that. Okay? I, I'm a big supporter uh, of hers. I'd love to see her run in 2024. Okay. The other thing is that a lot of the candidates. I mean, look at Andrew Cuomo. Look at uh, Rudy Giuliani's kid. I mean, what did they ever do that they deserved to be the governor? I mean, last time I seen Rudy's kid, he was being a brat at his, at his inauguration. I don't know what else he's done. A lot of the candidates are, are, are inheriting the post from their uncles and, and aunts and all, and everybody just goes with the flow. Bob Dole was a, was a travesty that he, he didn't become president. You know, people go, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. But we're going to take the saxophone player. Come on. <laughs> well, Mike, you know what's we interesting? Will- to your point, Mike, uh, smarter men than me have said that if you look at the skills necessary to get elected president, it's almost exactly the opposite of the skills necessary that you need to be president. So um, to your point, I guess that, you know, a lot of the folks that are have a talent for getting elected don't necessarily have the same talent for governing. Uh, I had promised that we would let Diana finish her thought of what happened at her Grand Street apartment. So let's go ahead and do that. Meantime, if you want to be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, we'll give you a chance to play the $1,000 minute in just a moment. But uh, Diana, the floor is yours. Hi. uh, It was Grand Avenue, actually, and it was Palisades Park. Well, my grandmother and I moved into this apartment, and uh, (laughs) this a naked guy was at the foot of my bed thinking at me, get out of my house, get out of my house. I freaked. Uh, I asked the neighbors downstairs, what happened? Well, who, what is this? And they said, oh, well, that was a young man who died at 28. He was a high-end car dealer. He went out. He had a heart condition. He went out. He apparently was partying, came home, died in bed. And uh, there he was. But it's not so bad. As time moved on and my grandmother declined, this man would help me. Like I bought a box of baby wipes once, and they were in the kitchen, and I had to change my grandmother's diaper. And uh, I thought, oh, God, now I have to go into the kitchen. And I turned around, and I swear they were there on the nightstand. I actually looked up and said, thank you. You know. Well, how long did he stay there? Well, we lived there 10 years, and he was there all 10 years, wow. and he would do a lot of nice stuff for her. He was just a nice guy who died young. He was a good guy. He was Italian-American, 
and it was an Italian American neighborhood. And he was a really nice guy who had just died young. And I would say to him, look, you're dead. Go to the light. Why do you want to be here? Go home. It's better there. But he didn't. And eventually we moved out of the apartment. But uh, And he stayed behind? Was, he stayed behind? He didn't, he stayed behind? He didn't move with you? No, thank God. Please. Well, please. I mean, it sounds like he was a, a pretty friendly ghost. Pardon the Casparian expression. Uh, uh, listen, if he wants to live here, he has to pay part of the rent. That's it. <laughs> Diana, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad that was a nice ghostly experience. We'll do the $1,000 Minute momentarily. Those of you that are holding and you want to be heard on whatever issue, uh, we'll uh, give you an opportunity to do so. This is The Other Side of Midnight, $1,000 Minute, straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. My favorite time of the show where we try and give away a little bit of money. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. All right, we have the one and only Al in Manhattan. Al, hello. Good morning, Mr. Serrato. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now, uh, if people aren't uh, familiar with Al, he played this game before when we first started it and was doing really well and could not remember my wife's first name, and uh, that cost him the $1,000. He's in a good – he's a very bright guy, though. He is uh, somebody that I think uh, has an excellent chance of of doing well in this game. All right, Al, uh, you know the rules, right? Yes. It's Rebecca, Rebecca. Rebe- <laughs> it's Rachel. I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, and play the $1,000 minute. Um, with the que- timer will begin after I ask the first question. What month comes after July? August. How many innings are in a standard baseball game? Nine. What country is Scotch whiskey made in? Scotland. What do magnets attract? Other magnets. We'll take it. In what film does Whoopi Goldberg dress up as a nun? Oh, my word. Uh, the choir. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, my word. Choir. No, choir. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was Sister Act. Sister Act. Sister Act. Sister Act. You know, you've heard of What's Sister Act. What's the one where she's a nun singing in, in, the, uh, in the choir? Sister Act. That's the movie. Really? Yes, Sister Act. And there were two of them. There was Sister Act and Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Oh, Sister Act. Sister Act. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you well. 
Yeah, that's right. That's 100% right. I, I saw the Thank movie, you. actually. Thank you. My humble apologies. I uh, was wrong on that. I, I should have known that. I saw it, and I enjoyed it. I agree. You should you have know? known it. Uh, but uh, obviously, you didn't enjoy the movie nearly enough. Al, I'm going to put you on hold. Talk to Kenneth, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to um, send you uh, an other side of midnight branded habit or something or some other side of midnight gear of some sort. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, anything we have said. Hey, by the way, I wanted to play uh I wanted to play this. I found this pretty interesting. I am a big fan of of Dick Vitale. Uh, I I don't care at all about college basketball. I I, I am so not interested in college basketball. I can't even tell you. But every March Madness, I still end up watching a big part of college basketball because of one guy, Dick Vitale, because he is awesome with a capital A. He is absolutely great. And he's had a rough time these last couple of years. Uh, He's been battling cancer. And he gave a very emotional speech after being honored with the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance at the ESPY Awards on uh, on Wednesday, and this is uh, this is what uh, this is a little bit of what he said. If you know someone that's battling cancer, extend a message, extend a prayer. So many times I laid in a hospital, and it was those messages that picked me up at the darkest moment when he gave me such a lift. This, you know, what? I'm going to beat this, man. I hear Jimmy's words in my head: "Don't give up, man. Don't give up." And it's not really related to anything we're talking about, but I just I was so inspired by that. And I found that to be such good advice. If you know someone battling cancer, extend that message, extend that prayer. And uh, I thought that was so interesting. I'll tell you what um, (laughs) what I also found somewhat interesting. And that's the the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. And he gave a PSA on uh, on tap water. Now, I, I drink tap water. But uh, I don't know that I have Eric Adams' enthusiasm for it. Hey, tap into good health. I never head out without my New York City tap water. Hot outside. I urge every New Yorker to drink up. Tap water is the best. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see if the day after this PSA for tap water being the best. Well, let's be honest. I drink tap water. Tap water is not the best. Okay, I you do a blind taste test. You can get some some uh, purified water, some spring water, some distilled water and some plain old regular tap water. And I guarantee you which tastes better. You are not picking the tap water. The whole reason people filter it five times, they have a filter on their sink and then they run it through a Brita filter is because there are these these this stuff in the water, the pipes and everything. Even though the water itself is sound, they, they say New York City has the champagne of drinking water. And I think that's true. Once you run it through our crummy infrastructure system, all these impurities from the pipes get in the water. You got to filter that out. You can taste it. Do a blind taste test. Try some filtered water, some plain old regular tap water, and some purified water versus some spring water, and you will you will know that the tap water is the worst. It's the worst. I've done this in different places, too. What I'd love to see is who who is the group that's most likely to be drinking tap water? Because those that don't have the means to buy bottled water, right? 
or to buy a Brita water filter. The people that are most likely to drink tap water are people that are on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, people that live in public housing. What I would love to see someone do, in fact, I might do this, but I'm kind of busy, so I might not do it. So feel free to steal this idea. Anybody listening can steal this idea. I would love to see them do a sample of water in public housing and measure the contaminants in regular tap water in any apartment in public housing. I would love to see it. And then he's out there doing these PSAs, drink tap water. I'm not trying to pick on him because I realize he's, he doesn't want people to get dehydrated. I realize he doesn't want people to overheat. But I, I just this whole notion of uh, this whole thing that he's trying to sell of, oh, let's make tap water cool. I mean, it's a little silly. It's just I, I found it silly. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, just a quick thing on that ghost whisperer you you interviewed. Mm-hmm. That lady. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm on speakerphone. And I know I'm not supposed. To. Here we go. Um, she. I, I think she knows what she's talking about. I wasn't sure, but she mentioned two things that have happened to me, and it's like I never heard anyone mention about the contractors that refuse to come back to your house. I have one. I have a stove guy who refuses to come back because one of his tools, that's what she mentioned, the tools are missing. And he found it inside the stove to where it took him almost 45 minutes to disassemble the stove to get at it. So there was no way. He hadn't even gone into that part of the stove. And he said, I'm never coming back, never doing it. So she was right on. And when she said that, it's like, that's the first person they ever mentioned that strange thing about them taking tools. Also about them not knowing, you know, the sticking around. There was a, a little four-year-old kid that lived upstairs from a, uh, a restaurant in Kenilworth, New Jersey. And the restaurant caught fire, and unfortunately he died. Mm-hmm. And they, they get calls constantly that there's a small kid trapped in the restaurant because they see him looking out the window like at 2 in the morning when they're driving by. And they stopped responding. Because they know it's this kid. He's still looking at the, I mean, they, they get it all the time. I have friends that are on the force, and they just stop responding because they know it's a ghost. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Hey, have now, you ever seen it? Uh, no. No, because I'm not driving by there by 2 in the right. morning. But the fact that they get calls all the time, and they're not making up. These are, you know, my friends that are on the force. And uh, it, that's been happening, like, for 40 years, right? That's wild. This, this happened, like, in the 60s, I mean, more than that now, in the 60s, like 60 years. Oof. So, uh, yeah, they still get the calls, but that restaurant's still there. Oh, I, I buy it. I buy it. Thank you, uh, Rick. 800-848-9222. A friend of mine writes me, you know, because I didn't realize we were talking about the movie Ghost before. That's another Whoopi Goldberg film. So we, we ended up talking about two Whoopi Goldberg uh, films. She dressed as a nun in Ghost. So maybe we should have accepted ghost as an answer as well. But he didn't say ghost. He didn't say ghost What did he either. say? It was something. Uh, he just made up something. Yeah, he made up something. something. He's a choir. <laughs> yeah, choir, because yeah, okay. she was in the choir. Right. Larry's in Bethpage. Hello, Larry. Frank, I just need clarification on something you talked about earlier. Yes, please, please. You bought a large fruit, a large giant fruit, so big and so solid that Superman's x-ray vision couldn't get through. You brought it home. You and your wife cut it. It was not fresh. Did you bring it back? Did you try to 
work out something with the grocery store. No, chain. no, we threw it away. And um, you, you're right, we should have. But, Larry, I, I can't stress to you how little time is in my day. You know, it's if I have an extra 15 minutes, I'm not going to the grocery store. I'm sleeping. Like, I will. I would use that 15 minutes to sleep. I mean, every minute of our day, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's pandemonium. It's just pandemonium in our house. We, every... But, but, and now, 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 Larry, people have figured out my secret because um, they know that the time that I'm most able to speak on the phone is between when I'm driving here between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. or when I'm driving home between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. So now sure. I get all sorts of calls in those hours now, too. So that I, I'm packed. My schedule's packed. I understand that. But you listen again. I love your show. I listen all every night. But you got on the air and you condemned them and you condemned them. You should have not. You took advantage of your position uh, on on a radio station and trashed a company where you didn't even give them a chance to 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 make amends. Where they're not responsible anyway. Listen, you 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 could hold a peach in your hand and and feel if it, if it's you know. It smells good. No, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe I did judge them harshly. That's fair, Larry. Larry, I have to run. I can't argue with you. But as far as you abusing my uh, position here, what other perks do I have? All I have is a microphone. I've got to use it for something, right? All right, 15 seconds of fame in a moment. We have one open line if you want it. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day, first day between 10 a.m. and sundown. No television, no radio, no mobile phone. I will. I am giving myself the opportunity to read the newspaper, old-fashioned newspaper, and maybe a book. I will be free of electronic or digital diversion. After Michael Smirkanish, tomorrow until sundown. So if you're tweeting at me tomorrow, at Frank Morano, if you're emailing me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com, I would do it today, and hopefully I'll get to you by 10 a.m. tomorrow. Otherwise, you're out of luck for Saturday. That's it. That means I also have to figure out something for Monday's show today also before we get to... Things get a little too hairy. All right. Without further ado, it's time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Joe in Ronkonkoma. Hey, Frank, I still haven't got my T-shirt. I hope you didn't send it to South America because you know I'm not going to find it. Have a good weekend, buddy. (laughs) Frankie in Glendale. Anthony. Happy belated birthday, Anthony. 
How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Mario in Brooklyn. Fred in Yonkers. Hey, Frank. I went to a jazz concert in Nyack last night, and everything was going great until the guy with the trombone started stealing my french fries. Oh, Neil on Staten Island. Yeah, I'm sorry, Frank. I was going to send those Victoria's Secret underwear models over to Carmine so we could have a variety to nurse on. But instead, I'm going to send them to my house. <laughs> uh, Harry in Huntington. Till Don Casamitidis, he shouldn't be using mail-order dentures. Oh, that's mean. Mike in the Poconos. Always a good show, Frank. I got to give a shout out to my friend Giuseppe from Aconcagua. And, you know, I did live in West Palm Beach for a little while. And that's Stephen from Manhattan. Hey, Stevie, you know, like I said on the show uh, years ago, uh, you got multiple personalities like Sybil. You should lay horizontal on a couch with a team of psychiatrists. Joe in Orange County. Hey, Frank. Mayor Adams is a joke. Without water, drinking from the lead services and the cast iron pipe eating itself from the inside out. All water stinks. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, that third-party cocktail um, um, get-together you're espousing, will there be cheese and crackers? You better do it soon before the state outlaws such things. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. That about slams the lid on things for today. Hopefully you have a great weekend. Stay cool, drink lots of water, eat lots of water. If you're buying watermelons, don't buy them from Stop and Shop. Buy them from Gristides or uh, Diagostino's. Um, you want to stay in touch with me, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Join our Facebook group. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. And uh, like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. That's where I post a lot of the articles that you read. And I posted that political quiz on there. If you want to fill it out and see what political party you would fit into if we had six political parties in this country. It's pretty interesting. It's an interesting thought experiment and an interesting uh, exercise. Have a great weekend. Frank Moreno. Good day.